I'm gonna fire this up, guys, just so we can keep this as like natural as possible. Also, I don't I don't want to do like chit chat without it being, you know what I mean? All right, all right, we're live. We are live with author Dick Kahn, author of the book DMT and My Occult Mind. Uh, how are you doing today, Mr. Khan? Yeah, good, thank you. And Dick's fine. If you want to call me Dick, you can call me Dick. Yeah, I'm good, thank you, Scott. I hope you're well. hope you're both well. I'm doing great, bud. Thanks for doing this with us. And Eric, Internal Dynamics, I brought you on as well. Thank you for doing this, Eric. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. So, Eric, I wanted to have you on because you met Dick through the Terrence McKenna, like a Terrence McKenna group. And um, Dick told you about his book, and then you told me about the book. So you and I both ordered it on Amazon the same day, and uh, we've both been like reading it at kind of the same pace. Yeah, right. um, not Thanks just th- taking that- a look, nice. Thank you for taking a look. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for uh, thank you for writing it. Yeah, thank you for doing having the courage to do that many experiences with it. And then, yes, writing a book on it. Uh, thank you very much, Harry. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's very brave to publish your experiences, but it's also very brave to go through with that many trials. Because um, it's, a, a, <laughs> it's a fascinating experience. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely it is. <laughs> <laughs> it can be imposing. Um, yeah, it's... I, it's a paradox, isn't it? Because nine times out of 10, it's the best experience imaginable. And on that basis, you think, I'm going to go back again and again and again, and it's going to be easy, but it's not like that, is it? There's some part of your brain, your mind, conscious or subconscious, that knows that, in my opinion, it's not your mind working under its own steam. There's something very powerful interacting with you and and directing the experience and i think that's why it's difficult to go back to no matter how enjoyable the experience is yeah a lot of the time you're shaking in your boots sort of right yeah it's it's difficult it, it, it's like walking to your own funeral you know it's um it's a bit like just before this interview you know you become sober you become sombre you know, a degree of nerves start building up. But with, I don't know, with, with, with DMT, it's, it's, it's that magnified many, many times. And I think I think one of the challenges is, is learning how to deal with that because I've, I've, had experience, I've, I've had times where I've really beaten myself up and then gone to smoke DMT and the experience has been underwhelming. And I thought, oh, my God, I spent like hours beating myself up and I did the experience and it was, you know, nothing. And then there's other times where I've just gone in and done it, and it was like, wow, what an experience. <laughs> so it's it's managing those internal emotions. It's quite a challenge. There's definitely emotions and, like, fear and apprehension that comes with it. But do you think that there's also, like, a certain survival instinct that comes with it? Because it's hypothesized that DMT is released when you die. So do you think our, our body is recognizing that? It's like, hey, man, like, we're not supposed to be dying right now. So it doesn't want to let go. It's it's like your survival instinct. Do you think that has something yeah, to do with it? I think that's really valid and a good way of expressing it. It's for sure, you know, you know the experience can be like a classic little death where you're absolutely 
convinced you've died. And then there's that other paradox where you come out of the experience and it just feels so familiar. And it's, it's the same with salvia, smoking salvia, that mindset, that experience, like there's such a degree of familiarity with it. And that makes me wonder whether it's some evidence of the sort of post-death or even pre-birth state that the spirit's in and uh, you know it's you you can't prove that but you can you know give ideas for consideration yeah it's like it shows you who you are behind who you think you are yeah 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 true it kind of pulls off the mask so to speak and reveals you to yourself <laughs> yeah and and you know certainly with um with dmt but with ayahuasca you know it's uh you, you 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 kind of not forced but subtly invited speaking personally to face your own soul and uh you know it's it's not pretty you know there's none of us perfect none of us you know have, have divine perfection we've all got that darker side of our psyche and you know facing that no matter how 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 happy you may be and how positive you may be and how much you're enjoying life. There's, there's always something there and you face it and you think, gee, yeah, I need to work on that. It's not pretty. Is that, that's something that I find with the, the few DMT experiences that I've had as well, that it shows you kind of like what you need to work on to better yourself um, for yourself and your fellow human. Mm. Is that, is that part of what got you into doing DMT Dick was uh, sort of a working on yourself, a, a therapy no, no, not at all. It was just um, just chanced upon the Spirit Molecule doc documentary while I've been messing about with research chemicals, which you could buy legally at that time online in the UK. So these were analogs of uh, MDMA, analogs of MDA. And I'd be, you know, my children were much younger then and I'd take something and I'd be up for like all night looking at you, you know, going through Wikipedia, YouTube, like, wow, that's mind-blowing. Just chanced upon that documentary and I knew, you know, I just knew I had to try it. Um, it really sort of spoke to me about, like, questions and interests I've had since a really young age, you know, about sensing, feeling that there's a, an unseen presence, there's something really important. Nobody's talking about it, but you sense it's there. And for me, DMT just, just kind of confirmed that in, in spadefuls, you know, it's like, wow, you know, there you go. There, there is genuinely a, another side to nature that's hidden. It's right there, but you can't see it. Yeah. What do you think, Eric? What do you think about that? Um, yeah. It, so it's more of like a journey of into the unknown than like trying to explore what's there what's hidden beneath the curtain and yeah it's so close to us yet we can't see it and then we take this substance and all of a sudden it's right there and it's just uh, like how um i wanted to know like you said you had uh early on out of body experiences in the book and are the DMT experiences anything like there? Are they much more powerful than those? Were they, was there any crossover in those? Do you still get out of body experiences? Oh, I wish I could get out of body experiences. So, so these were classic OBEs. I'm, I'm, you know, I've, uh, I've read accounts of 
people who say they've had OBEs, and I, I don't know, I, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, but these were when I was really young in my childhood, and I was, you know, I, I had this sound in my head, which DMT seems to amplify. I've always had that. It's, I suppose it's what the West call tinnitus, um, but I've, I've always had it. And fighting sleep as a young child, there were occasions where it felt like I was falling backwards at tremendous speed, and then I'd be outside my body and able to not float but just will myself in whichever direction I wanted around around the house with DMT I found it's I've not had classic OBEs I, I don't find it's like that with DMT it seems to be you know it attracts something in my opinion it attracts something very powerful into my immediate setting which which mesmerically overpowers overwhelms me imposes visual wonders can act invasively but no i've not had classic obes on on dmt and i really wish i could get those obes again but no they seem to be you know at a young age but gave me you know irrefutable evidence to my own satisfaction that there's something within me that can exist outside of me and it's, it's such a mystery how something within you can be outside your body and yet you're seen as you see with your own eyes, but yet you're passing through wooden doors and very bizarre, very unusual. Yeah. What about you, Eric? Do you have uh, out-of-body experiences? Are you familiar with like astral projection and stuff like that? I'm familiar with it, but I've never actually... Experienced it? Yeah, experienced it on my own. Uh not without the help of some psychedelic substance. Yeah. I've never really had out of body experiences either, but, um, my early childhood, I would have very strange dreams, very like occult and supernatural occurrences, um, that I had nothing to chalk it up to. And as I grew older, I came to realize that, um, because because of those experiences, I started studying occult things, and then I came to understand and realize that um, that's what I was going through, that I was having these out-of-body experiences, these, um, um, like, tinnitus, like Dick said, um, mm. with the, the pineal gland ringing, I think is what you attribute it to. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something I picked up from um, esoteric and occult literature, you know, that is, it gives, it doesn't talk about DMT because this is from, you know, 100 years ago or, you know, a little bit beyond that, but talks about, you know, makes it very clear that, that the pineal gland, the third eye, is um, an important factor in terms of interface between terrestrial realm and, and, and our spiritual self. And yeah, I mean, for sure, you, you smoke DMT and, what really took my breath away the first time I tried it, and you know, it's just a few milligrams, is it really powerfully amplified that sound that had been such a mysterious and significant aspect of my my early childhood and my childhood, and it been with me all my life. I can hear it now, but that DMT amplified that really got my interest because I, I kind of learned to live with that it's never been a problem but nobody ever spoke about it and then smoke dmt and it's like really amplified that sound and uh, the room became crystal clear this room and it's like wow that is so bloody interesting you know and 
It literally, it literally resonated with you. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, literally resonated with me. And even behind, you know, I mean, that was one pull of fresh crystals. So it was no breakthrough, but the room became uh, uber crystal clear. The dimple ceiling sort of had spectral radiance to it. And even behind those sort of sub breakthrough um, effects, I think, there's a science there. It's not something you can measure, but you can give an explanation. You can say, well, I think this is like this because of X, Y, Z. And I think, you know, eventually when, when more and more people start to try this and analyze this and try to work out what's happening in a, a sort of scientific minded approach, I think there'll be some consensus opinion comes, but in calling this a science, it's always got to be a science of the immeasurable. You know, I, I, I just don't, can't see how we'll be able to measure these ringing in the ears, this crystal clear clarity that I say is evidence of your psycho-spiritual constitution temporarily, powerfully, rapidly expanding outwards like a, a bubble or a hemispheric, you know, hemisphere. It does seem to be something that's like impossible to measure. Yeah, absolutely. At least for now. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, that, 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 that sound, you know, I mean, people ask me when you smoke DMT, do you listen to music? And no, I, I've never, I never want, never felt the need to listen to music. I'm really interested in listening to that sound. So the, intensity and the frequency of that sound when i inhale the dmt i find that really fascinating but then within mere seconds you palpably and audibly sense the presence of something arriving and then it will manifest and impose its own power and the intensity frequency the audibility and the palpability of the entities energy is just off the scale it's not something my mind could produce it's like you know i posted something the other day on facebook and across social media and uh, you know showing genuine scientific investigation of brainwaves being measured and the frequency over a second and i cheekily like put a super high frequency uh you know graph there to represent the energy of the entity and it's just I mean, that's just insane. Somebody had said, you know, it's more of a, a flatline frequency. And it, I think absolutely it is. But when it really lets loose, that frequency just becomes so high pitched. I mean, you know, it's like sanity. It, it defies sanity. And it, it makes the entire, makes the air in the room feel as solid as stone which is such a paradox. It can't be, but it feels as solid as stone. And when it's imposing upon you, you can feel your skeleton, you know, it's just incredible. That is, that sounds intense. Eric, yeah. Eric, <laughs> Eric, you've had more experiences than I have. I've only had like a handful. So do you care to uh, chime in on what Dick just had to say? I feel that you're, you have more of an authority on the subject than I do. Oh, um, so you say the frequency is so intense, like it almost is like ripping you out of your body or pulling you inward through something. And uh, you, you say if the signal itself brings the entity, like it's 
It's almost like calling. Yes. Can you explain more on that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, let's let's just forget about entities and let's just say we've got a pipe of DMT and we're going to smoke it. And, you know, you get that high-pitched, intense ringing in the midst of your head. And, and what I'm saying is that the effect of that is it, it powerfully amplifies, enlarges, expands some otherwise immaterial constitution of yourself. You can call it consciousness, mind stuff. I've started to call it psycho-spiritual constitution. That will rapidly and powerfully expand outwards. And the significance of that is, we talk about set and setting, the significance of that is you have all of a sudden significantly changed your setting you're no longer sat there with a baseline consciousness you're now sat there with this huge outwardly expanding psycho spiritual bubble and i argue that that is or appears to be of huge interest to those otherwise invisible life forms occult life forms and it seems to me one will uh, very quickly manifesting your setting and um impose upon you greatly and what's interesting after so many experiences is sometimes you take the first step the room becomes a washing like an underwater sort of uniform turbulence your own mind stuff you take the second it and you start to feel the presence of something and while you're taking the third it you can almost sense the entities just waiting for you to put the pipe down and put the lighter down <laughs> and lay back. And, you know, it's like observing you. I have no idea how we must look to those beings, those entities, but you lay back. It's like, <laughs> right, here we go. And it like puts it on you and you're, gee, you know, you, then you just, looks like you're in a different world, you know. It's, you're at the mercy of the entity. And thankfully, you know, mostly it's... Uh, it's entertainment beyond all reckoning. It's it's unimaginably profound. Do you think that the, some of those entities were humans in their past life, or that they at least have uh, an understanding of what our experiences of, of what we are? Well, that's a great question. I I don't know for sure, but I'm I'm minded to think that some of them have have lived the human experience. Don't ask me when I I have got no idea, I, I, but I sense that some haven't, and maybe others I don't know have not. But that's such a good question. Um, another question I wanted to ask you is because of because of the intense ringing that you experience when you hit DMT, and because of the intense ringing that you experience as a child and throughout your your life, do you feel that? the correlation between those two is important that there, that synchronicity is there for a reason that you are, that this is part of your purpose on this plane is to go through the experiments that you've gone through and talk about it to help other people have an understanding. Again, that's a really, really good question. And I probably don't not, not exercise caution in answering it, but I don't want to sort of come across and say, yeah, I feel I'm here for a, a special reason. No, I don't buy that. I'm just a regular working class guy, class guy. But I think there are, there must be thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people around the world that have that similar audibility within their pineal region. And it could have been that that night on Research Chemicals, I never chanced upon the spirit molecule documentary. It could have been that it never crossed my path. 
in which case I would never have done that research and published that book. But it, it, it was, I, I would say, ever since I've been young, I've always felt there was something I was going to do. You know, I didn't know what it was, but I felt there was something I was going to do. And I've I got to be honest, this, this ticks that box for me. You know, I mean, it took me to get to 40 years old and, you know, I'm thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting on a bit now, I'm getting older. And that feeling was still there, but you start to think, well, maybe not. And then this came my way and um, developed into researching and writing books. And yeah, it ticks that box. I'm, I'm yeah. really enjoying what I'm doing, but I wouldn't say I was, I feel I'm puttier to do it. Uh, well, what I would say, and it's in DMT and my cult mind light. And I think about this more often now than I used to do, but that that moment where I saw that, some like orb at the foot of the garden, you know, and, and was, you know, thinking it was Christmas morning and it wasn't. I mean, that was one hell of a sight. <laughs> that was, you know, that was just, I have wondered why I would see that because that was just insane, you know, and didn't know what UFOs were at that time or anything like that. But yeah, that was, that was one hell of an experience. And I don't know. So, um, I can definitely see the chain of events that that have led to where you are, and I only know about you from the book and from what you've told me in this conversation. Um, and then you've checked the box, and now the way that I see it is that by raising your own personal vibration and putting your story out there, you're helping other people, whether you want to admit it or not, because I'm sure you've destroyed your ego with DMT, whether you want to admit it or not, you are helping other people raise their vibrations and making a difference in this world, I, I, I believe. I really appreciate that, and I really like how you express that and put a spin on it. I mean, it, it's paramount on me that I, I stay grounded and stay level-headed, and my family absolutely... Uh, I make sure of that because of my family. It's not that my family makes sure of that for me. But i, I got to say, and if anybody's listening uh, or listens into this that has taken time out to approach me and express something along the lines that you've just done. I want to say thank you because if ever there is a DMT in my occult mind three, it will be because people do take time out to come and say, man, you know, Dick, that is fantastic. You know, or something along those lines. And I'll be honest, that's worth far more than any royalties I may get from self publishing. That is just, you know, and that it doesn't, inflate my ego i've got to take the criticism with the praise and and you know train and keep level level headed keep grounded but yeah it's really it's encouraging that's my response when i usually get those messages it's really encouraging definitely um and like i said i'm sure that the amount of times you've uh, ingested dmt it's probably taken quite a toll on on your ego or what is what people usually call ego. Something I wanted to ask though, do you think you said you're a family man? Do you think that your experiences have made you a better, better father, a better husband? Without question, without question. But if if there was a question about ego, and I think this is really important as, as much as the experiences can put your ego in its place. Cause I'm not into all that, kill your ego that's you know we you, you it's part of who you are it's your personality you can't kill your ego you can squash it you can kick it you can 
put it in its place, but it's ultimately going to come back. It's, it's, it's whether you sort of allow it to inflate itself or put it in check. And I think what we spoke about earlier with the difficulty of approaching the DMT experience, that so somber soberness that you have, I personally think that is one of the main impacts on modulating your ego. Maybe not so much the experience, but that, putting yourself in that position it's like your ego is saying don't do it you're, you're getting ready with the pipe the lighter your ego screaming don't do it don't do it don't do it. and you are this part of you says i'm just gonna not listen to what you're saying and i'm gonna lay down and i'm gonna smoke this pipe and we're gonna have a dmt experience and your ego screaming don't do it but you do it and i think that approach probably puts the ego in its place, perhaps more than the experience, perhaps. Eric, do you have anything you want to add? No, that, that was good. Um, I want to know, out of the many times you've done it, how many were breakthrough times? That's a good question. And I would say, you know, it was documented with Vice. I'd smoked DMT 600 times. It was about 650. But not every experience was a breakthrough. I would say, I would say it's about half. There were times I was messing about with uh, some breakthrough doses. There were times I wanted to break through and didn't break through. And there was a really bizarre month where I couldn't get the DMT to do anything. So I was, you know, using the same back, using the same process, extracting it myself, and I get the DMT and I'd be air drying it, and it smelled, you know, you get that wonderful plasticky synthetic smell of potency, think great. But when it came to loading the pipe, that scent seemed to have gone. And I'm talking, you know, I'd be smoking a pipe. There was no effect whatsoever never mind breakthrough there was like no amplification of my my mind stuff my psycho spiritual constitution and i went an entire month and i changed back suppliers i you know changed the chemicals used to extract that i tried everything and it was always the same it smells potent it's good it's going to work an entire month i just couldn't get it to do anything and it was a real head scratch, and I've seen somebody mention something similar on DMT Nexus, and you're trying to work out what's going on, and you're left with that. The stupidest conclusion is that something's coming, something invisible is stealing the potency from my crystals. I just <laughs> didn't know what. I just didn't know what else to think, you know. And then, lo and behold, after one month, it just just changed again, and just you know, it was really bizarre. Was there anything different in your lifetime, like uh, family, stress? Uh... No, no. I, uh, I've i wondered if it was just some massive big trick that they were pulling. And I know that sounds completely woo and bizarre, but no. But I think I know what you're saying, but there have been times where I, I've had to apologize to entities. There's been times where, you know, I, there's been times where I know they've ignored me because I've either done something or said something or acted in a way. And that's really awful. You know, you smoke, you lay back, your mind stuff fills the local sky completely. And then you, you feel, you know, it's not a breakthrough. It's a breakthrough dose, but nothing's manifesting in your presence. It's like, I'm being ignored. You know, it's like, 
you know, when you're a kid and you're at school and you like, if you've got no mates, you go in the playground and everybody's playing, but they're not playing with you. And you're like, shit, it was like that. It was awful. <laughs> you, start, you do you start to make internal, you start to make apologies and, and try and sort of, you know, transmit them outwards. And then you all open. So, yeah. They welcome you back after the apology. Yeah. Yeah. There's been some bizarre, uh, you know, there's been some times where at the, the conclusion of an experience, the darker aspect of my psyche has unexpectedly manifested and sort of tarnished, you know, and, and like being disrespectful to the internet. I'm like, what the, what the hell is that? And then, yeah, you're ignored for a few times and, you know, it's, um, you make your apologies and it all comes good, you know, it's, uh, yeah. So um, that 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 reminds me of you kind of explained it in this one uh, excerpt that when you go into it with a certain level of arrogance or ego that it's like showing up to a funeral in a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you do. There needs to be a certain level of like humble and somber when you go in. Like there need there needs to be a respect because respect, it, is, yeah. it is very real. I think, I think, yes, and I would say it depends on where you're at with your research. So when I started, I had no nerves whatsoever. I was just full of curiosity, you know, I just couldn't wait. And then the nerves start to come later. So I think, you know, it depends on maybe the individual. But what I will say, and you guys will appreciate this, I'm sure, and other people have said it, many other people have said it, it's that moment when you think, when you're a little bit too confident, perhaps you got the pipe, you know, you're like, I got this, I got this, you know, it's like, you've got like, no, (laughs) and maybe you're just a little bit too, I got this, you know, and it's like, that's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna bump you nicely. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And it's, I think that's really interesting because it's like, suggests strongly suggests that those entities those powerful spiritual beings or whatever they are that they're able to read or intuit or determine what's in your psyche at some maybe on the surface or at some depth or some level it's like you know from their perspective it must be like all right if you think you got this right or right, okay check this and it's, it's like the, and you're like and you come out you're like god no you're never smoking that stuff again <laughs> it's like they're telepathic yeah i strongly yeah, yeah. i mean you know i've i've read books there's books out there that 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 strongly assert that you know in astral dimensions in occult dimensions your thoughts and your feelings are not private and i i buy that you know i, I don't know what the post death state's going to be like but there are plenty of books out there that say you know your thoughts your feelings that 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 what's within you within yourself it, it's not private so it re- self for that interpretation i recently did a podcast with a gentleman named bob frizzell who wrote this book nothing in this book is true but it's exactly how things are and in that book they talk about like ancient egypt and christ consciousness initiation chambers but they talk about fourth dimensional spaces and how in a fourth dimensional space that your thoughts and your emotions will kind of instantly manifest almost like a, like a lucid dream or something. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, that's the nature of the, that's the nature of it. Absolutely. I, I buy into that. 
So it, it feels like you create that when you hit DMT, you create that bubble, you create that, you know, you go underwater, you create this plane, you, you create a playing field for other entities to come be a part of. And once they enter that bubble, they become cognizant of your, your emotions and your thoughts and your feelings will have uh, an effect on their actions. Maybe. Yeah, I know. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, if, you know, after a while when I started, you know, I'd had a few experiences. I had one experience that took my breath away, literally, you know, it was, um, I wouldn't say it was, yeah, it was not nice. You know, you're fighting for your breath. And that, that put me off for several months. And it was after that, I went back really cautiously, you know, and, and that's when the courage that I started with, I wouldn't want to say it had diminished, but there was a healthy level of, respect and and maybe some fear and terror which is normal for dmt and yeah i think you know it's like i think if anybody i think if you go in respectfully with curiosity you're going to be okay i think if you're like of the attitude oh i've heard about this let me see what all this is about you're probably going to have monsters running after you but i think if you are you have that that fear, that touch of terror, but you've made that commitment. I'm going to do that no matter how loud my ego is shouting. I think you're going to get a good experience. That's what I think. Yeah, and there's, there is like a certain amount of respect and understanding going into it that you need to have and an understanding of you're not going to be able to have control of this situation. It's, it's just going to happen. Yeah, um, yeah. And if you try to fight it, it's it's bad just surrender is the best thing to do when it's coming that intensely because you can't stop it it's like trying to stop a freight train (laughs) yeah that's true Um, yeah yeah so you were talking about uh fear too dick i think another thing uh, a good um comparison to dmt is it's not really one of those things that you can dip your toe in you're either you're either jumping in the pool or you're not and uh Sometimes the pool might be cold and that, that cold is fear. So sometimes you do go into it like, I got this. And then out of nowhere, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's been, there has been times where I've, I've sort of played about with DMT, you know, and, and, and even then it's, it's really not something you should be, if you're playing about with it, you've got to be super cautious because I, I prepared a pipe. I think it's, and it's in one of the books. I think I got about 30 MG in there and we got a, an old armchair outside, which really go to the tip. It's really nice, comfy reclining and it was up against the back of the house and it was a really nice summer's day. And I'm like, I said, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna mess about with this pipe. I'm just going to inhale, you know, infrequently light doses. And I, I lit up the torch and uh, I pulled on the pipe and before I knew what, what, what the entire dose had been vacuumed down into my lungs and that experience just just raced raced away just took me with it i was screaming with hilarity you know i mean really like moved to hilarity um my wife was in the kitchen behind me my boys were in the you know in in the study room behind me and i knew they could all hear me laughing and it's like i could read their thoughts it's like i could hear my boy I could hear his thoughts. He was like saying, you know, when I get older, I hope I can laugh like that. And my wife was kind of like, yeah, 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 you know, making some like, 
negatory sounds and uh it was a really powerful experience and, and and towards the end when i composed myself you got three like sort of creamy dark like i don't know uap ufo whatever you want to call them sort of just slowly going across this. i mean not high but you know maybe like i don't know less than 100 yards and it's like they were like acknowledging like that i'd really you know, that had been a hell of an experience. But the, the bizarre thing was when I went in and, and and asked my family, did you hear me laughing? They were like, no, no, no. It's a really bizarre reaction because I knew they had, they couldn't miss it. <laughs> I, I, I suspect that they were, because with DMT, I've laughed like, I didn't know human beings could laugh like that <laughs> so many times. And I think they were kind of embarrassed that the husband, you know, the dad, was like laughing like a maniac. I don't know. Was that the was that the experience titled "Fascinated with the Hidden"? No, I think that was something like "Armchair Delights." Armchair Delights. Armchair Delights. Yeah, yeah. Because you had another one called "Fascinated with the Hidden" that seemed to be a very similar experience. You were just trapped in hysteria. It was like. The experience was so overwhelming. All you could do was just laugh with tears yeah. rolling down your face. And, you know, I mean, one of the first experiences that I, I had with DMT, that, that uh, and I think, it's, um, I think it's one of the first ones in DMT and my cold mind light is, I didn't know what was happening. And I, I didn't know whether, I didn't know about entities. I just had no idea what was happening. But with that experience, I could feel there was something that, it like, divided my psyche up. And it had found that portion of my psyche where laughter is generated. And it was like manipulating it. It would be darting in. And I would be screaming with laughter. And then it would come out and I'm trying to compose myself. And then it would dart back in again. And oh, my God, you know. It's... And that's why I sort of came to conclude after many other experiences that these entities seem to have a, a complete working knowledge of excuse me, human psyche and human physiology, it's almost like they've had a hand in in building humans into what they are. You know, it's like, I don't know, they have the instruction manual and and the capacity to sort of operate us vicariously through, you know, the user smoking DMT. It's, it's, it's bizarre. So how much have you studied, like, uh, mysticism and the occult and stuff like that, the esoteric? Well... I won't, I'm by far not the widest read, and but what I would say with that subject is there's nobody knows it in its entirety because it's still under development. It, it's a universal wisdom tradition, so nobody says I got the complete knowledge in my head. Um, I became interested in theosophy, specifically Blavatsky with the Secret Doctrine that was published in 1888, and remains the cornerstone of the Western mystery tradition or the modern day western mystery tradition and i became fascinated maybe a little bit fixated with that and i have read around the subject but uh yeah really focused on blavatsky a little bit of steiner uh Besant, and some of the other early theosophists so i'm not an expert but those books really chimed with me. I've been reading them for 20 years. They chimed with me because the questions I'd had since early childhood, those books really powerfully addressed those questions head on. And, you know, I know some people are very wary of the word occult, and I knew it was a risk 
adding a cult into my title. I knew I'd alienate some potential readers, but a cult just means hidden. And I guess I'm using it in that light sense. Obviously, it does mean a whole lot more. But, you know, if, if you're genuinely ignorant, you'll say, oh, the occult is satanic worship. And no, it's not that. But it might give you some very deep philosophical considerations as upon the satanic myth or the Luciferian myth. It does deal with uh, very deep and profound subjects. And you might come to conclude that these are actually cosmic glyphs or uh, stories recounting how we came to be and, and what type of beings or energies or, or concepts have made us what we are. I mean, you know, if Satan does exist, is in us all, or it's in us all. If Lucifer exists, it's in us all. It makes us what we are. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, the reason I ask is because clearly you know about the concept of angels and demons, but before, um, before Christianity became so widespread, it was just and it was just known as jinn, D J I N N, and um, later on the, they separated the jinn into two classes of angels and demons, but um, they all kind of you know like you said there it's all part of the all source it's all part of one source, but do you think that that is what you were dealing with sometimes in your experiences were jinn uh, angels or demons. Cause a lot of them seemed like tricksters, you know, making you laugh or messing with the tag on your pillow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Um, so you had tricksters like that, but you also had like these big, you know, winged creatures that were like yeah. translucent and made of geometrical patterns. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think it, it, it all, relates to occult nature there are not many descriptives you can sort of use you know i mean in ufology at the moment the talk is of the phenomena i think there's a film coming out called the phenomena and there's not many descriptives that you can use for this this thing this the other but i think occult nature is one really powerful way of expressing it and for sure you know in esoteric and occult literature um yeah those they're they're full of uh, myths, stories, legends about hidden beings of all kinds and classes. And, I mean, you know, with the, the jinn, uh, I think it was uh, Gordon Crichton, he was the um, uh, editor of Flying Saucer Review, which I think is the uh, oldest or longest published uh, UFO periodical. And he, his opinion was that, you know, that the UFO enigma, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's the gin. It's, it's, it's what they do, you know, they're operating on the fringes, but doing it in such a manner that it slowly shapes and steers culture and people's minds. And I think there's plenty of evidence of that. Well, you know, when you look at the UFO enigma and when it manifested in what, 1947, and it's like, nobody's i i believe nobody's ever captured one of these things i know there are um some ufologists believe that the things have crashed but whatever it is it's uh it's like jacques valet stated it's like a spiritual control system it's like a thermostat on our spirituality it slowly shapes and steers our culture and i think you know with 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 dmt it it's like um it's a really powerful way to engage with that phenomena, the other with occult nature. And 
on Twitter, you know, I tried to get some UFOlogists interested in that, but they seem more intent on, you know, pressing the government for answers or looking for the next video of a Tic Tac or whatever. And, uh, you know, I think if you would really want to engage with the other, the phenomena, then ayahuasca DMT is, is a surefire way to do that. Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, let me, I, I want to ask you one more question. I mean, I'll ask you more questions later, but I'm going to ask you a question. And then after you answer that, Eric, I want to let you uh, lead the conversation for a while. And I want to take a back seat because like I said, you're the one who turned me on to this book, Eric. You have more experience and psychonautical adventures than I do. So I really want to take a back seat to this um, after this question. So, um, Dick, one of my one of my favorite excerpts from the book was um, circus performance. It was about mm-hmm. this like ringmaster kind of entity who appeared and. Uh, he was kind of swaying from left to right and kind of showing you these different things that kept coming. And that one really interested me because my last experience, which was actually with Eric, there was a very much a circus archetype um, that seemed to be a common theme for all of us who had the experience that day. What do you think about that? What, what was, what are some of your takeaways from that experience? So, I think it really raises a really profound question about aspects of human culture with which we're all familiar, such as circuses and clowns and jokers and jesters and all that kind of irrational side of human culture. And it begs the question whether these are products of our own imagination and creativity or, or whether these are sort of otherworldly archetypes that have infused into minds that are receptive to that and whether the sort of concept of clowns and circuses and and sort of that irrational aspect of human nature whether it's kind of instilled into certain individuals you know receptive to that and whether that shaped culture and I don't know it's such a good it's such a good question I'm 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 minded to think that these are otherworldly ideals or archetypes that are, you know, when the time is right or when it's required, they're they're sort of pushed into minds that are receptive for it. It, It's a really interesting question um, and it's a really interesting answer as well. So, yeah, again, I would say the circus performer, he he was an entity of sorts, but I would say he was a a construct of the, the spiritual entity that was imposing powerfully upon me and yeah, I mean, it took my astonishment to really crazy heights. It became, you know, when you talk about your astonishment, it's paining you. That sounds ridiculous, but that's pretty much where that guy took me. I had the same kind of questions with the circus um, archetype as, like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, what came first, the the, the psychedelic, whatever, psycho-spiritual experience or the physical circus? And... um Another uh, another thing that tripped me out about that is like there's this uh, music group, Insane Clown Posse, and one of their things that is really of their culture is um, DMT and DMT experiences. So I found that there's there's a weird connection there between like DMT and clowns and uh, circus archetypes. But also like what you said about sorry, Eric. I know I wanted you to lead the conversation. Uh, 
I also like what you said about it seems like certain people are susceptible to certain archetypes because, I mean, I, I'm a comedian, so maybe I, that would make sense for me to be more susceptible to a circus archetype. You, Dick, you seem like you're more susceptible to, like, the underwater archetype. Eric, what's your what's your most common archetype or environment that your experiences take you? And then you guys talk uh, for a while. Let me shut up. Um, well, I've had the circus archetype, and I've had the jester kind of mischievous archetype, but uh, mostly it's just something that I can't explain. Uh, the word you use a lot is impossible mm. in the book. And McKenna also used that word. And when I was going through one of my most powerful experiences, that was, this is impossible. This is, I, no one's ever talked about this. There's no book on it. There's no story. I wanted to like call the president, the head of science, the head, the government, like anyone who would listen, all yeah artists in the world but you know 10 minutes later i was like yeah call the president yeah call the i wonder what's on tv like <laughs> it fades so quickly um i want to know your most powerful kind of contact with the entities like which one was the realist which one gave the most knowledge or the most profound contact with something outside of you I think I would say I learned more on ayahuasca about myself, but let's park ayahuasca and let's focus on the smoked. And, you know, I spoke about the intensity of that frequency that the entities impose. And there's been many times where, and I've documented it in the book, that it's like, that was by far the most intense or the high three. And then something else happens, you know, another experience, you think, no, that, that beat the last one. And, I, I would say there was one experience, and this was in the garden, you know, and it's like um, it's a sunny day, and my approach is eyes open. Not that it matters when you're on a breakthrough. Eyes open, it doesn't matter. But I had this one experience, and the entity, and I think I've called it in the book, uh, and in the absence of um, flight or fight, and this entity was, was putting this highly visible experience on me, and I, I wanted, I wanted it to stop. And it's like, I wanted to cry out and say, make it stop. And just as I was about to cry out, it's like the, the scenery would change. And I, that I'd like reset me. I'm like, okay, I can deal with it. And I don't know what it was doing, but it was like, it's like, it had me between that, you know, you can't fight me and you can't escape me. And it was really, I wanted to scream out, make it stop. And every time I got close to doing that, it would change. I thought, okay, I'm okay. And then it would take me back. And um, I think as a consequence of that, because, you know, this is a really profound, you know, documented um, aspect of humanity, the fight or flight reaction, you know, your adrenaline's going, you know, you either got to fight it or you, you got to flee from it. And I couldn't, but both were like vying, you know, it was like between the two. And as a consequence of that, and this is why I mentioned the ayahuasca, when I did eventually get out of it, it's like, it gives you real insight into your soul. It's like, it's beyond words, you know, it's like, 
you really got a sense of something really deep within you and it was like a sense of your deepest self you know not not like dick Khan and not me in this lifetime but really deep you know like i don't know like who you are before telling you who you are over like lifetimes you know and i would say that was i'm not saying it was the best experience but that was like you know it really really got me because I really wanted it to stop and I couldn't make it stop and I really wanted to run away but I couldn't because I was like overpowered I was in a mesmeric state and I didn't know where I was I, I knew I, I, probably at some very deep level I knew I was in the garden but that aspect of my mind was not operational so and it was unusual because um with that when that experience did finish it's like it spat me out of itself, you know. So I'm, I'm contending that with these experiences, you are essentially engulfed in the midst of a powerful spiritual entity that's, you know, imposed mesmerically upon your amplified mind. And it, it makes you look like you're in another world, but they can also operate in a quasi-physical or paraphysical manner. And at the end of this overwhelmingly powerful experience, it was like it spat me out of itself, you know. It's like Phew. it's very much like you know being spat back to earth, but you know, obviously, just above ground level or something like that. So yeah, that 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 comes to mind. Um, again, on on that with the the sort of paraphysicality of these entities or that ability to operate in a quasi physical manner, you know, examples spring to mind such as I had a really nice burnished aluminium and chrome lighter and I'd, I'd smoked and laid back and the entity manifested and it was powerfully imposing upon me and I grip in this lighter and the entity somehow I mean I didn't dare look because I'm in this mesmeric state he started to prise open my fingers one by one until I dropped the lighter and as a consequence of that, I was like, Damn, I'm never going to hold that lighter ever again when I, you know, smoke DMT. And again, I've had experiences where in the bedroom, it looks like you're in another realm and it feels like you're on a, a conveyor belt, you know, going through a tunnel. And it looks like you're somewhere else. But really, it's, um, it's an illusion, this quasi-physical, paraphysical ability of the entity to like ripple beneath your back creates that illusion it's such a good trick and equally i've been in the garden and had some really powerful experiences and it it feels like you're gliding like like you're levitating it's like you're gliding but it's this quasi-physical or paraphysical ability of the entity to smoothly move beneath your your, your back in in that prone position and it's wow you know don't stop i'm flying don't stop <laughs> it's great. I mean, but 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 ultimately, these are illusions. It's not that I'd gone somewhere else and I was genuinely on a conveyor belt in you know the astral realm. It was a really powerful trick of the entity. It's real magic. Did you learn that over time? Like, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, yeah. It took took uh, it took a while. I mean, my my approach with this was. You know, not to say I've gone further or, or larger than anybody else, but genu genuinely to understand it. So my mindset with DMT was to, you know, once I'd laid down, that was my commitment. I'm going to smoke this no matter what. 
And then you start to realize that when you've laid down, don't start thinking what if this and what if that. Just lay down, compose yourself, sit straight back up, hit the pipe. And then while you're hitting the pipe and you're sucking in, my mindset was focus. Be be as observant as you can. Try and learn as much as you can. You lay back and then... And those first few seconds, I mean, sometimes it's instantaneous, but those first few seconds, that's where it's all happening. There's something happening within those first few seconds that makes the experience what it is. And and over time, I came to believe that the entity is, it's almost like temporarily enmeshing its own mind stuff in your mind stuff, but in a way that's overpowering you. Uh, and I choose that word mesmeric advisedly on the basis of my research into esoteric and occult literature. You've got hypnosis, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, which means those uh, being hypnotized, they willingly, you know, agree to be hypnotized. But mesmerism is something very different. That's a will of greater power is imposing upon you and fascinating you i mean this goes back to anton mesmer and animal magnetism but with this we're not dealing with a human being animally magnetizing or mesmerizing another human being albeit that can happen these powerful spiritual beings these entities who i believe you know i came to call them cult masters because as i say i think they've got a complete working knowledge of human psyche human physiology you know as, as anybody knows who's experienced DMT, they're dictating and directing and determining the experience completely. Um, Dick, so, sorry, Eric, to cut you off. Dick, you were talking about that, that moment, those first couple seconds, right? And you were talking about uh, mesmerizing and hypnotizing. Then you talked about mesmer and um, what was... Uh, what, what was Animal magnetism. T- animal magnetism, sorry. Um, so actually, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed this gentleman named Adam Crabtree, who's a psychotherapist from uh, Canada, and he's been working with uh, people with dissociative identity disorder for like 50 plus years. Um, he's really into trance states, um, hypnosis, and things like that. But one thing that he was talking about was kind of the same thing you're talking I'm understanding it as the same sensation that you're talking about those first couple seconds, right? He was, but what he was talking about was like, um, like right before you dream, right? Right before you fall asleep, right when you wake up and he called it a hypnagogic state. Yes. Yes. Um, I feel like there's definitely a correlation between that conversation that I had with him and the conversation that I'm having with you right now. Well, it's interesting because the phraseology they used back in Anton Mesmer's day was um, nervous fluid. You know, they they attested that human beings always give off a a nervous fluid and, and, and mesmerists were able to sort of impose their own nervous fluid upon the recipient and thereby, you know, mesmerize them. I mean, you know, there's times when I spoke to individuals and they just really capture you know they know how to tell a story and you know you're transfixed you know you can't get yourself away and they're telling this story you're hanging on their every word and that's an example of of mesmerism but 
with these entities, it's to the nth untold degree. I mean, and I think evidence of that is when I've been in that state and I've tried to speak, it's like you can't, you can't speak, you want to speak, but it's like you're fighting against yourself to try and get the words out because you're in this mesmeric state. And similarly, your eyes are like, like sometimes like rapid eye movement, you know, they're flitting around the room and the room's full of wonderful, active, visionary stuff. And uh, you're looking for the entity, not realizing that the entity's filling the room and imposing all these visual wonders on you. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. It is very uh, mesmerizing. That's the perfect word for it. And honestly, uh, this conversation has been mesmerizing. I'm I'm high off this conversation. Like I have the biggest, <laughs> I have the biggest smile. That I, this is one of the best podcasts that I think we've done. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to to taking a back seat. And, and Eric, I want to let you lead the conversation again, brother. Eric, are you there? Are you guys there? Fuck. I'm there. I'm here. I think Eric lost. Uh, oh, no. Is he frozen? I think Eric's frozen. He lost connection. <laughs> oh, dear. That's all right. Um, so what else What else did I want to talk about? What? Um, oh, yeah. So you had a lot of experiences where... Um, where it seemed like two entities were kind of battling for your attention or you had the one it's called police constable. So it's like, it's, do you perceive that as like, um, the initial entity was whatever it was showing you or doing you was had some sort of negative connotation and another entity stepped in to try and balance that out. Absolutely. And one of the, um, early considerations and questions I had is, you know, it's like, how, how, which end, how does, when I smoke DMT, what factors are at play in that otherworldly environment that determine which entity is going to interact with me? And I could never, you know, you can never, you can never answer that because we're in this terrestrial plane and, and from their perspective, you just can't see it. But I did wonder why and how one particular entity will manifest in your area, uh, say, as opposed to another one. So in the landing area, just here, there was, I think there was one particular entity that frequently engaged with me. Uh, You know, I mean, suspicion I have, I can't prove it. But yeah, on that occasion, something um, a little less, um, a little more adverse to my, you know, actions with DMT manifested. And uh, yeah, it was kind of like scaring me a little bit. And then I sensed this other entity came and it was like, yeah, it was like acting almost like a, a sort of, I think I call it an, a psycho-spiritual police constable yeah. berating, berating the other entity, you know. And was, I don't know if it was like saying, hey, you, you lay off this guy. This guy's my guy, you know, lay off him. So I don't know. It's uh, There's been other experiences where I've been in the bedroom and it's like, you know, you sense that there's there's two entities sort of battling between you or not knowing what to do with you. And for sure that I've had, this sounds ridiculous, but I, I, some of the most profound experiences I've had have been from low doses. And I think what you've got to factor into that is 
if you're smoking this stuff frequently, there's a possibility you can argue for consideration that in that other realm, you are attracting attention with one, two or, or more entities. And I smoked, I mean, this must have been less than 10 milligram in my bag. I've been smoking it daily and I could sense something's waiting for me. And I just took this pull and lay back and it's like maybe maybe about six seven eight foot above me it's like the 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 the, guy, the entity manifested and it it was like silver it's surface you know i'm in the garden this is daylight and my eyes open and the ripples there were ripples moving through its surface but they were like real high frequency like really you know the amplitude was really tight sort of showing you that the the composition of this material, it was like nothing terrestrial at all. And I was freaking out. I mean, to be seeing something so <sighs> profound and so obvious, you know, in otherwise consensus reality was freaking me out. And I could sense this entity was engaging with another entity and more or less saying, you know, you, you said this guy would be good for, you know, an experience and he's freaking out and blah, 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 blah. And, and I'm there, poor me, like, oh, my God, oh, I don't want to be here. And <laughs> let me go. So, yeah, you know, it's, uh, yeah. And, you know, I think what's, what's interesting as well is, and especially with outdoor, um, you know, you smoke DMT, it fills the local sky with your psycho-spiritual substance and, you know, you, you have an experience. But when that's finished and that stuff is still all around, there's occasionally you'll, you'll glimpse something like moving through the sky really fast. I mean, faster than your eyes can really focus on. And it's kind of like the, an insight into sort of that wider unseen environment, you know, that, you know, I just saw something pass by, you know, really quick, you know, a, a great height, you know, and that's aside from frequently seeing black orb UFOs, earth lights that's one of the reasons to try to get you know ufologists on twitter interested in this but you know you, you can't push it too hard because it's uh it's one of those things if it's not calling your name then maybe it's not for you in this lifetime question mark don't know yeah um it is definitely one of those things it's it's not for everybody and um it it finds you. It has a tendency to find you when you need it. Um, I feel a lot of psychedelics are like that. And the universe mm -hmm. just kind of comes to you in that way without psychedelics. <clears throat> and yes. Just on its own. Yes. And everything seems to really come to you. Uh, do you do you experience some of these entities in your dreams? Have you had... Uh, yeah, again, it's good, really good question. I really like your, your line of questioning, Scott. It's really good. And yeah, I mean, there seems to be some dreams. And, you know, I mean, dreams seem to be more imposing and intense, you know, nearer and on the full moon. I think that that's pretty well documented. Um, but yeah, for sure, there's, there's, there's some dreams where... I'm just convinced that an entity is sort of mixing it up in your mind. You know, my wife, she's receptive to these kind of things. She's not into psychedelics or DMT, but she'll, you know, occasionally she'll tell me a bizarre dream where she's put in a really difficult situation that she wouldn't otherwise find herself in. And it kind of, 
I suppose it exposes you to another reality that you wouldn't you wouldn't get in the terrestrial realm. And you know, sometimes it can be quite can be damn dirty. I mean, you know, I've I've had recent a recent experience with uh, a witch, you know, and ah, uh, oh, you know, it's like you know, and you're a man, you know, so you kind of like thinking, well, you know, she's a witch, but she looks all right actually, you know, she's kind of like she's pretty good, and you start thinking as a man, you know. Oh, would, would I? And then you know, then she's on you, and it's like, oh my god, you know what's 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 happening? And then there's other times where, you know, you're in a dream, and you might end up having to deal with um, a sink or a toilet that's really filthy, and you wouldn't in real life. You'd be like, no, 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 no. But in this dream, it's like you're being manipulated in such a way that you're having to deal with it. And I'm convinced that some things like having a real good laugh at my expense. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. So do you think that, um, do you think that any of these psycho-spiritual entities have attached themselves to you? Because in, in multiple, I, I said that there's a lot of occasions where you described like two entities battling for your attention or it seemed like one was trying to push out the other from doing something it shouldn't be doing. But on even more occasions than that, you've described what seems like an entity entering you um, yeah. and, and taking control of your, your tongue, your voice, your eye socket, your shoulders, the list goes on. Yeah. Um, I, I think that those entities that have um, a working knowledge of the human psyche and human physiology, I don't think it's uh, in their evolutionary interest to sort of attached to little old me and, and, and like, you know, go through life with me. But there have been other occasions, other experiences where I, I have feared that something's lodged within my brain, within my mind and taken root there. But then you start to think, well, if I think like that, I'm probably going to go down a very dark path. It's really easy to do. So I, um, I I dismiss that, and I think maybe it's just the machination of the entity. And I've certainly had experiences where they have um, acted in such a way that has given me a very dark and brooding sort of three hours post-experience. Uh, but you've got to come out of that, and you've got to think, all right, yeah, you got me. You got me really good, but I am going to go back because I'm researching, and I, I'm not going to buy into the fact that you did something in my brain that's going to affect me now or affect me in years to to come. I engaged with somebody recently on social media and we had some back and forth chat and um, he was an author and I purchased his book and he purchased my books and uh, he came back and he uh, I was quite taken aback. He said, I think you need an exorcism. I was really taken aback by that. I thought, you know, I wouldn't dare say that to anybody. And uh, no, I... Um, I think you've got to be really strong-willed for these experiences. And I think it's like McKenna said, you know, you've got to have your wits about you. You know, it's... Uh, and I have scarred my mental health, I'm not going to lie. That's documented in book two, you know. But I suppose like um, a sports person, you know, any good sports person who's never been injured and never sort of got a war wound or a scar has probably not played the game properly. So, yeah, I, I have scarred my mental health, but... And at the time, it was really, you know, it's, it's documented in book two, and I, I, I 
document it as closely as I dare without being explicit. But for me and my wife, especially, there were some really worrying and dark moments, you know. And uh, but now, o- over time, and having done the right thing and brought it to light and spoke to my wife as to what was going through my mind. I think that scar of my mental health has made me a much better individual because it's made me realise the sort of the fragility of your mind. You know, you've only got the one mind and there's no, there's no union to go to with this thing. There's no health and safety officer to go to in your mind and hidden nature. And, you know, yeah, you got to, it's like McKenna said, you got to have your wits about you. It's like, yeah. It's like, like McKenna said, it's impossible, and a lot of a lot of the stuff that is happening on that realm or happening in those experiences is too is too much for us to comprehend. You mm. know what I mean? So it can be overwhelming. Mm. It can have those effects on your mental health. Um, we were talking earlier about being rendered hysterical. Um, I love I love when I take a high dose of like LSD and I get to that point of I'm just getting hit with waves of epiphany. Mm-hmm. And usually when that happens, I'm either locked in laughing or crying or laughing mm-hmm. so hard that I'm crying. And I think some of that comes from a place of nervousness because the overwhelming weight of that knowledge of whatever the epiphanies are that you're being struck with. Um, I think that has, I think that ties into what you were saying about uh smoking DMT having an effect on your mental health because you're being, your mind's being opened up to all these possibilities, at least, mm-hmm. you know, for, for the three of us, we probably see a lot of it as realities, but let's just call them possibilities. So it opens mm-hmm. up your mind to all these possibilities and the weight of that can be overwhelming. Another thing about DMT and mental health, at least my own personal anecdote, the second time that I, my second experience when I came back to earth, um, you know, you explained in one experience that it was like, you had kind of been coddled back to earth. Um, mm. that this, that the spirit kind of, uh, you know, coddled you for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't happen to me the second time. It was just, it happened and I was back. And one thing that I'm sure all three of us, Eric is back now. I'm sure one thing uh-huh. that we, we can all attribute to about DMT is, the experience feels realer than reality or what we call reality. Um, and that alone made me feel like very schizophrenic. Like, no, is this the, this is the dream and DMT realm is the reality. This is the illusion. Mm-hmm. This realm is, <laughs> and, and um, have you guys dealt with that yourselves? That same kind of, no, man, no, this is fake. This is all fake. That was real. I think for me, the question was, how can it look realer than real? Because it does, that DMT realm, it just shames ordinary, it shames the like most powerful HD TV in the world imaginable. And I think there's got to be a reason why that is. And I think it's the, it's the sort of, the substance of that psycho spiritual of your own nature and of the entity, I think it's of an, an uncommon density. And that's something I want to address in my third book. I think it 
it, it, the surfaces are just without blemish. They're pristine. They're smooth. Or they appear so. Obviously, you know, I say a surface. If you put your hand out to touch it, it's your hand's just going to go straight through it. But I think it's the uncommon density of this psycho-spiritual substance of our own mind and, and the composition of the entity that makes it look like a lucid dream times 1000 you know it's, it's it's beyond compare yeah that's one thing that makes it feel like all right this is real is that it, it the colors and the mm. everything is so much crisper another mm. another thing too is it it kind of destroys depth um for the most part for me everything tends to become like one fabric yes um and one of my favorite quotes is by William Blake, when the doors of perception are cleansed, things will appear to man as they truly are, infinite. And in that moment, everything is infinite. There's, there's no disconnect from, from me to you to the, the curtain, the tree, whatever it is. Usually they're all one fabric. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, we've got an apple tree in our back garden and there's many times where I've, I've, I smoked and I'm I'm having an experience or coming out of an experience and the upright branches and you know little twigs of the apple tree it's like they're all like like rejoicing you know it's like they it's like I look at the tree and it's like the trees rejoice and it's like but it's like um it's sort of taking on my own sort of emotions and feelings in that moment but you look at the trees like damn you know even the trees like praising the divine you know and it's but it's really powerful you know it's uh it's like the trees infused with such personality of of worship and rejoice it's uh great yeah it, it personifies things that normally we see as just um everyday or or even mundane yeah you know mundane. but now he is infused with life and it's rejoicing to the heavens and yeah, it's, it's how it feels. Yeah. 100%. All right. Let me, um, let me fill in Eric on where we left off. Eric, I think sure. when you, when you dropped out, we were talking about being mesmerized, hypnotized and hypnagogic states and, um, sort of that, uh, I, I would almost attribute it to the same feeling that people get right before like an astral projection or, or the feeling that you get when you like, uh, if you're laying in your bed and you feel like you're about to fall through the mattress, right? We were talking about that. I think you dropped out. Um, after that, we spoke about, what did we speak about? I asked about dreams. I asked Dick if he's ever felt like entities have, um, if he's experienced them in his dream states as well. Uh, we also talked about, uh, we talked about the different, like the police constable right, where he's had the different experiences where there's, like, one entity and then another one comes in and it's almost like it's interviewing the other entity, scolding it or, or pushing it out. Um, and we were kind of talking about how there seems to be some sort of... Dick, I wanted to ask, do you feel like that's a guardian angel that you have, that, that police constable, that recurring? No, sure, because in esoteric literature, we, we uh, supposedly signed a, a guardian angel, but I'm not sure... I, to me, it seems like a uh, something that's separate to me. It just feels... I just don't believe that smoking DMT is making that guardian angel then impose so powerfully upon me when it's part of me. I think that is something else. So, yeah, I believe there's, there's, 
some guardian angel type aspect of me as you know esoteric and occult law states but i think these entities are separate i think you know i think there's a there are populations out there in various kingdoms of hidden nature and uh i you know i've, I've had to take the view that i think these beings must be divine or semi-divine you know probably coming through a range of realms to the dmt user signal and then imposing upon him or her very very powerfully do you think it could be your higher self and not an external force? No, no, because again, so I've had experiences where the entity has, has manifested in the room and imposed such power that the plasterboard walls start to creak under the 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 pressure, the compression that's being put upon them, and you know the floor starts to groan. And I've even had the house shake and I, you know, with the entity, I can feel the entity in the room, but I can feel it high above the house and it's shaking the room, like the room's vibrating. And I just don't think my higher self could do that under the influence of DMT. So yes, I believe I have a higher self, a spiritual ego, but I don't think DMT would enable it to do those kinds of feats. I don't think my spiritual ego would manifest as a black orb UFO or an earth light or other unidentified aerial phenomena in the local sky. Okay. I agree with that. I, I, after you put it in those terms, I, I can definitely agree with that. Um, Eric, the other thing that we talked about when you came back in that Dick was explaining was I asked him about the different experiences that he's had on multiple occasions where it's felt like an entity has entered him, whether it was in his eye socket, his shoulder, um, whatever the case may be. And so he was talking about that when you came in and how um, people have suggested that he should get demonic possession or he, he should get uh, exercise. Yeah, I was quite taken aback uh, by that. And, you know, um, I, I, you know, politely went back to the individual and, and you know, so I'm not accused him, but, you know, said you've obviously you know have christian leanings and there's nothing wrong with that but he uh he um he scolded me and said no it doesn't but I, my understanding is that exorcism is a sort of a christian concept i don't know maybe i should do some research on that but you know we we didn't fall out i'm sure we're still good buddies but you know i mean you are opening yourself up to otherworldly influences and i think right. as with any magic practices and i'm not um I, again, I don't undertake occult or esoteric practices to sort of uh, rituals or ceremonies. I have my own internal dialogue that would sort of qualify as some kind of magical practice based on, you know, my own relationship with me and my will. But yeah, I, um, you are opening yourself up to otherworldly influences. And I think intention is everything you know yeah. if you are selfishly motived or ill motived or you are seeking power or power over the other individuals you may get your way with that but ultimately that's going to come back to you and it's gonna i don't know it will bring some karmic debt to you and you might not like it when it when repayment comes so you know i think consciously i have pursued this in the right manner didn't realize it at the time but it was a genuine a genuine attempt to understand what was going on after smoking the potent substance you know that's what i did 
Yeah, that's something I wanted to bring up too earlier when we were talking about respect and understanding of the substances. Intent, intent is definitely important when going into it. That you have the correct, and I mean that—that's just with life in general. Mm. With with every word that you speak, I mean words are magic. Uh, you know, uh, words words created the universe, and God said on this day, and God said, and God said. So, um. Intent is important in all facets of life, not just DMT, but especially when you're going to use psychedelics uh, because it raises your vibration and raises your spiritual sustenance so much that you you need to be extra focused on the proper intent, which is love, love intent. Um, um, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that, Dick. Eric, uh, the, uh, the other thing... So when I asked Dick about um, if he thought that any spirits had, I asked him if he thought that any spirits had attached themselves to him. And what he said is that essentially, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase Dick, is that their, his existence is meager compared to their existence. So that he, they, they wouldn't see a need in attaching themselves to him because their, their realm and their plane that they work on is so much more, expansive and greater than our limited experience. But what he did say is that he's felt like, um, afflicted with mental illnesses with, with mental issues, whatever afterwards. Um, and once again, Dick, I'm sorry, I'm paraphrasing. If I'm feel free to correct. Me. I mean, yeah. So it was, um, it was one particular occasion where, and we've already said, you know, with um, DMT, your ego is screaming at you not to do it. But there was this one particular day and I was home alone. And, you know, it was maybe 20, 25 milligram fresh crystals in the pipe. And the it was like foggy outside and there was no air movement. And it was just one of those days where it's just unnaturally quiet, you know. I was like, you know, I'm going to do this and... I don't know, there was some aspect of me, possibly deeper than my ego, pleading with me, don't do it, don't do it. But, you know, your ego is always saying that when you're about to smoke DMT. So I kind of ignored it and went against what I suspect were my deeper instincts not to pursue this. And I, um, you know, I smoked this DMT and, and laid back. And I don't know if an entity manifested or not. I don't know, but within seconds, my mind took a really sort of baleful twist, a really sort of baleful negative twist. And, um, you know, I don't want to say too much because it's, you know, I tried to document it in the book, but it kind of like sort of took unkindly to my wife in that train of thought. And it was just horrible. And, um, you know, went outside and it's like, you know, you, you're trying to shake this baleful downward spiral from your head. And it's like, what can I do to sort of like occupy my mind? And uh, I was like, oh, I know, I'll go and chop some wood with an axe. I was like, no, no, don't chop any wood with an axe, not in this frame of mind. And um, yeah, from that one experience, it kind of like, really marred my life for two or three weeks and marred my approach to smoking DMT and, and regrettably and somewhat selfishly, you know, I was thinking, Oh, I might not be able to smoke DMT again, but really, you know, what I should have been tackling and what I did ultimately tackle was that kind of 
baleful mindset that kept cropping up in my mind unbidden say when I was at work it's like damn and so I had to have a very difficult conversation with my wife and and tell her what had happened and what kind of thoughts had been going through my head and god bless her she listened and she she spoke to me and suggested what I should do and I agreed with her you know I, I left off for a while and just the act of speaking about what was in my mind sort of bringing it out into the light which is what you should do with these situations was really really medicinal really helpful really you know helped me deal with that and you know the thing's still there but after two three years it's 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 more of a scar of my mental health whereas at the time it was kind of like a gaping wound and that's you know that's that's how it is so it, it over time it's become a wake-up call is what you're saying well over time it's been easy to deal with but had i not spoken to my wife i really fear that my mental health could have taken a real sort of it could have become frightfully dark you know as as again we've said but as mckenna said you know you've got to have your wits about you and you've got to you've got to be able to integrate and reflect on these things and i would say if anybody you know has had those kind of episodes the best thing to do is to speak to somebody somebody you can you know right. trust or a, an agency and just say look this this is our feeling and yeah my doing that was really really beneficial but and as i say it's made me a better person it's made me realize you know that darker aspect of your psyche dmt is not going to make that go away but it is ultimately going to make you face up to its horrendous nature and you know it, it that potential is there in all of us you know i mean my wife will watch all those tv programs where people are committing heinous crimes and doing all kinds of dastardly things and i just can't watch them my wife says well it's, it happens you know and i think everybody has that capacity within them but for entertainment no i don't want to watch somebody else's dark crimes against you know their partner or humanity that's not for me yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, that reminds me of one of my favorite, uh, my, my favorite band Tool has a song called Vicarious that's kind of about that concept about how mm -hmm. society is so trapped in a vicariously living through other people's suffering or, or through other yeah. people's um, maliciousness. Yeah. So, um, so you said that you don't think that anything's attached itself to you, but you were talking about influence earlier and how it's, would you say that things have tried to plant seeds of, and have negative influence or with malicious intent? So what I would like to do is just backtrack a little bit about that question of influence on me. I don't think there's been any malignant influence but there have been, and I document this in book two especially, where out in the garden I've, I've smoked DMT and I've had an incredible breakthrough experience. And then the entities hung around and it's kind of operated in that quasi-physical manner. And it's kind of feels like it's very powerfully knitting a portion of itself into my physiology, whether it's my shoulders or my arms. And I've had added to the extent where it's felt it's it's like bolting some portion of itself into my physiology so i have wondered whether there is some otherworldly connection between myself and these beings 
of I don't know of of what influence I don't know of what longevity but to experience that it does force you to beg the question you know you're there you're in the garden and something's very powerfully knitting into you and you're like there don't move and then when it's done what it's done it goes and I've had that several times so it does make you wonder but I try and sort of I I impose upon myself to take the positives from this um obviously i'm writing books so i've besought their help i've I've asked you know psychically look i'm writing any help gratefully received and um whether they have or they have not i don't know but it benefits me to assume that there's been some assistance so yeah just to backtrack on that i I think there has probably been and maybe is uh occult influence influence from the hidden realms but i choose to sort of look at uh, being a positive influence rather than malignant or nefarious because i think i think a lot of it's down to your mind if you take the view that it is malignant and nefarious you're gonna your mind's just gonna run with that and you're gonna find yourself in a very dark place so i think again having you it's about you intention and will you know positivity if if you want to be negative, it will amplify negativity. If you want to be positive, it will powerfully amplify that, and that's where I'm at. Okay, okay. Um, I, I wanted I wanted to backtrack too because I, I actually lost my train of thought. But I wanted to talk about um, you were talking about communicating with your wife, and I just think that's another thing that's so important, not just in psychedelic realms, but we could all stand to learn to communicate with one another and communicate our thoughts and feelings to each other um, better. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and also like, if you can't, if you can't confide in the person that you love the most and, and your partner or your mate um, about a bad trip, then who can you talk to? So yeah. that's so important to do. I think is, is if you're going on these type of journeys you have to be honest about it and you have to be honest and open with the people that you care about. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky. My wife gives me a lot of freedom to undertake these explorations. She's never imposed upon me not to do it. It's the opportunities are less frequent now because my boys are, you know, um, teen and preteen. And obviously with this pandemic and lockdown, they're not at school. So I'm finding I don't have as much, time to pursue research as as I would like, but that will hopefully come to an end when they're back at school in September. But yeah, I'm very, very blessed. And, you know, I speak to people on social media and they they want to pursue it, but they're having to pursue it, hiding it from their wife or their wife disagrees and will not tolerate it. And I think, oh man, that's such a shame because being absolutely open with your partner and, and giving your partner freedom is what a good relationship should be. Yeah, my advice on doing psychedelics behind your partner's back is don't do it because the guilt is going to eat you from within inside. It's a psychedelic, um, and the lie and the guilt of, is going to get to you. That's what's going to happen. So if it's a realm that you're going to step into, then you need to be open and honest about who you are um, and, and what it is that you're trying to achieve because that's another thing too is if, Okay, well, why does that person want you to pursue this? Well, now that forces you to explain why you want to pursue it. Well, why do you really want to pursue it? That 
Now you're questioning your intention and now you're setting better parameters for yourself and getting a better understanding instead of just going in on a whim because Joe Rogan said it a bunch of times on this podcast. Well said. Yeah. Well said. I think it's really important that partners, whether it's male or female, are, are receptive to, to their other partner. If they wish to pursue these experiences, then, uh, you know, the likelihood it's going to make them a, a better individual. We hope so. You know, I mean, it's not to say that it's a panacea for everything. Some people become so enamored by it, it can become quite obsessive. And, you know, I think it's really important to integrate and reflect and take the pluses from this without sort of going crazy and trying to convince everybody you've got to smoke DMT. That's no way to sell the experience, in my opinion. You know, caveats to that, you know, um, demographics, age groups, social circles. You know, I can't speak about this at work. You know, I've got a, a professional job. I've, I've not once raised it, and nor would I. You know, it wouldn't go down well at all. Yeah, no, it's definitely not for everybody. And in your case with, you know, your job, yes, there are certain levels of anonymity that need to be maintained. But with the people that um, you're supposed to love and that you tell you love or whatever, um you need to be open and honest about everything, not just your psychedelic use or else yeah. the guilt is going to eat you from within. You're going to resent yourself. You're going to resent them. It's not a bad, it's not a good road to go down. No, um, great. But I, uh, Eric, I think you're all caught up. I was about to let you lead the conversation again before you dropped out. Is there anything you want to ask? Uh, Dick? Um, well, you kind of like answered it vicariously, but uh, the right word. But the, when you you have the story of talking to the Jehovah's Witnesses, oh, I love that. And uh, how did you have any Orthodox religion like growing up, or have you always been into the occult since like you were younger? And what when you talk to people like that, like are you do you feel like it strengthens those stories of like someone reaching the divine or do you think it kind of um, makes them look like they don't get the bigger picture? Yeah. Okay. So to the first part of your question, I, um, you know, I was brought up, I, I suppose I was brought up in um, church of England state, you know, so the, the flavor at school was, you know, church of England. Um, my mum, yeah, she was sort of Christian, um, not hardcore, more so in later life. So it was like Sunday school and church on a Sunday when I was really young, and I just did not like that. There was a guy stood at the front in the church in a long frock. I don't know what the hell he was talking about, but it was imposing upon my playtime, and I just did not like it. I just, just didn't trust it, didn't like it. It was not for me, and it didn't answer any of those deeper questions I had even at, at that age. Whereas my dad, who was a massive influence on me, I think he could see that religion is almost like a drug. It changes people's consciousness and it becomes like a gang mentality. You know, my religion's right and yours is wrong. So he was very much, you know, just felt that wonder of the mysteriousness of the infinite universe. And um, I think I sort of share, you know, he, he kind of shared that with me and that influenced me greatly um religion fascinates me i mean I, I like esoteric and occult literature so it has to fascinate me because it sort of touches on all those religions and the golden thread that's running through them all but 
fascinates me that people sort of have these beliefs and different thoughts and adhere to them no matter what. But I find, you know, with DMT, it's given me this perspective, you know, the now seems to be the option. What do you want to do? Do you want to read about the spiritual or do you want to experience it? And with DMT, whether smoked or uh, especially with ayahuasca, there's that genuine opportunity to experience the spiritual and that you can read a hundred books on religion, uh, you know, the uh, religious texts, scriptures, etc. It ain't going to give you that religious experience. I would argue like um, DMT or ayahuasca, obviously, you know, there are some individuals, some instances where people do have a, a genuine mystical experience and i'm not poo-pooing those at all but i'm just saying you know for the lay person for the common man or woman yeah this seems to be you know i would argue it seems to be it's our birthright you know this is this dmt it's it's within nature it's hidden within nature and by extracting it from nature and utilizing it you can explore hidden nature within yourself and without yourself you know and i think that's really that's really where I want to sort of take my research and, and arguments to kind of like promote that debate because, you know, churches, yeah, wonderful. The architecture is in certain churches, you know, it's beautiful and it can, um, it can influence you in a really sort of nice, warm, fuzzy way. But, you know, to have that experience, direct experience of the spiritual through DMT ayahuasca that's that's another level altogether. Have you, can you tell about your ayahuasca experiences? Yeah, so you know, I'm I'm very lucky. I wouldn't have been able to afford to go to South America, not without leaving my wife and children, you know, with slim pickings for dinner. <laughs> so I got to go to um a couple of ceremonies in the UK and it was over three or four nights. It was like, you know tea each night so i think i've had about seven experiences and uh last time was with uh you know a, a master shaman shaman called um chano chana ikaru i think it was and that was just incredible i mean the medicine was strong him and his wife there singing the ikaros it, it songs just so incredible but it was uh it's a revelation for me because, you know, I'd had some really powerful experiences with ayahuasca, but that one really, and you know, it's great. I've wrote about it, hopefully in being DMT and my cold mind free, but it was intense. I didn't know ayahuasca could, could put it on me like that. You know, I'd had some real good journeys and strong journeys, but this was intense. It was so intense that every so often this kind of like oriental looking guy would pop up. And just sort of psychically ask me, are you okay? And I'm like, uh, and then <laughs> carry on, like, you know, and it was really fast. It was like a proper break, really putting it on me. And I was like, wow. But yeah, I'm a big fan. I mean, you know, regrettably, these experiences, even, you know, domestically are expensive. And it's a shame because I, if I had the opportunity to do that weekly without sort of, you know, reneging on my family duties, I would do that weekly. I think it's, it's just stupendous. 
you see any crossover from the DMT to ayahuasca? Like, yeah, I mean, that's really what I wanted to do. I mean, I was worried about ayahuasca with purging, you know, the 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 the, the vomiting and the, the the purging, and that kind of sort of put me off for a while. But a friend from America talked me into it. He came over here and we did and the purging is nothing it's beneficial to be honest it's really beneficial the experience is just formidable it's just wonderful and um yeah it, it sort of really helped me really to correlate with what i'd experienced from smoke dmt with the ayahuasca yeah it was really kind of like told me anyway that you know you're on the right lines with with the arguments you've made for consideration you're absolutely on the right lines because what fascinates me with dmt is some users and and even users who are far more experienced than me they poo poo all this entity interaction they say no 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 it's it's just your mind it's always your mind alone and i think how can you say that with your level of experience so i think it's really interesting why that is and i think it's maybe some individuals are just an evolutionary level where they're more receptive to the 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 reality of what's actually occurring where others they get all that wonderful visionary experience and some of them even have that invasive those invasive experiences and when i say well what do you say about that they just Oh, it's a tactile hallucination. I'm like, how can you? I mean, I've I've had experience where my lips have been sealed up, and I've known they've been sealed up, and I've I've eventually got the courage to try and open my mouth, and my mouth just will not open because the entity has absolutely sealed it up. That said, um, at that moment, if I'd have panicked or exhibited any fear, the entity would have gone, and I would have been able to open my mouth. But because I knew what was happening, and I trusted the entity implicitly i let it do it. i mean I've, I've even had that where it's sealed up my lips and it's even sealed up my nasal cavity and i've got this one breath in me and it's diminishing diminishing and i'm not panicking you know and it gets to the point where you need to sort of take in this breath and then it lets you at the 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 moment where you just about start to worry you take in this breath and then when you speak Speak or you 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 uh, exhale. Your voice is modulated so bizarrely. You feel obliged to speak again and again. I think what I'm trying to say is, if you can, if you see that these are genuine entity interactions, and if you put your trust in these entities, they will show you some real bizarre tricks and they they will astonish you i mean you know i mean I, the, the visual stuff is astonishing but the invasive stuff with that sealing up your lips and your nose and operating within your your brain or your eye or your your throat cavity ah it's really bizarre really bizarre but you know you trust these entities even if they're sort of putting a dark twist on it you know, it's. I think with when they're putting a dark twist on it, they're kind of like maybe testing your resolve to go back because I've had experiences that had they been among my first, I would never have gone back. But, you know, I thought, okay, I'm going to go back. You know, I've got, I've got some experience and you go back and it's like the next experience or experiences are almost like a reward. You know, it's joyful, it's wonderful, it's ecstatic. 
It's like, you know, maybe the entity saying, or they're saying, wow, he came back after we put that experience on him, you know? Fair play to the guy. I don't know, maybe. Almost like testing your courage, kind of. Yeah, I think so. You know, and, and look, I'm, I'm not here pretending that I'm some super-duper DMT warrior hero. I'm not. I, <laughs> I've been a coward many, many times. And I'm pleased to say I've been a, a hero to my own satisfaction many times. But look, I... Um, my last breakthrough must have been, what, six to eight weeks ago um, with a vape device in the lounge. And that was a powerful experience. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm, I am I'm struggling to go back. I mean, I've got the excuse that my boys are of an age uh, where I can't sort of do it as freely as I could when they were younger. I've also got the excuse that they're home because of the pandemic and the lockdown. But I feel it, it, it's easy for me to use that excuse you know, if somebody's listening, what's stopping going down the fields? Well, it's me. I'm stopping myself going down the fields because, you know, I, I am I am scared. And that same energy I put into DMT research, I'm now putting into marketing my books. And, and I'm not marketing myself as such. I'm marketing the DMT experience, the arguments about DMT entities, because... It's not about one individual and it's not about a personality. It's about DMT and it's about DMT entities. So I'm putting that energy into marketing my books on social media, but I think it's going to come to the point and I can feel it building within me. I'm going to think, you know what? You're at the point now, Dick, where you either dine out on those two books for as long as anybody wants to interview you and take an interest or you think, you know what? let's find that hero within yourself again and let's get the DMT out and let's really and like leave no stone unturned because what happened with me is I wasn't on social media. I was just doing that three years of research and then I got on social media and there's like people like smoking a hundred milligrams. I'm like, what the fuck? So yeah, I've got to be able to, I want to be able to push myself a little bit further and see whether, you know, with, um, 100 plus dose where there's any qualitative difference to the esoteric mechanics which i'm arguing for i don't think there will be but you never know yeah a lot of your doses are around 30 milligrams right yeah did you have any higher 60 80 ones or? i think um highest i've gone was 83 and you know um yeah i've been plus 50 and 83 but Regardless of that, it's like I said earlier, I don't know if you um, had dropped off then, but I think when you're smoking it regularly and frequently, I've had occasions where I've come home and I'm preparing and I know that I can sense the entities waiting for me. So I think the frequency with which you do it is potentially a, a factor. But no, I wasn't trying to measure myself against anybody else. And I think, you know, if anybody's saying, oh, you know, it's all about bigger doses. Well, I wasn't trying to sort of argue about bigger doses. I was trying to understand the esoteric mechanics of, of what was occurring. And I think in that respect, I've produced some pretty original insight into the experiences. But yeah, you know, um, I'm a guy. I feel that sort of competitive edge. I don't want to say I'm, I'm being, um, you know, machistic um, about it. But I, I would like to go further and go deeper. And then I can say, you know, anybody says, oh, you know, you're... The only this is say no. Check out book three. I you know left no stone unturned. I'll be to my own standard. You know I'm not in competition with anybody but myself. 
Um, Dick, I wanted to bring something up to you just to see if I could motivate you a little bit to write your third Me book. Too. <laughs> uh, cause you were, you were talking about excuses. I saw something the other day. I don't know who the author is, but it said the walls of your comfort zone are beautifully decorated with all your favorite excuses. And that, that that's really stuck with me. And I've been, uh, I've been trying to keep that in mind when I, like that. Uh, excusing myself from writing comedy or whatever it is that I should be working on. Another great quote about excuses that I just read earlier from this guy named Dick Kahn. Uh, I was home, <laughs> I was home alone with 29 milligrams of fresh DMT in a pipe and no valid excuse not to further my research. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's typical situation where the boys are at school, the wife's out, I'm on a day off and it's a weekday and I think you either do it or you don't do it. And if you don't do it, you ain't got nothing to write about and nothing to talk about. So right. do it. <laughs> and, and with all that being said, it's really easy for me to say those things because all I have is a dog and um, – no job. So um, my list of responsibilities is very short as compared to you. you you're a, a father, a husband, uh, a, you have a career. So you have a certain level of responsibilities that you have to uphold that you can't just, you know, lay around and smoke DMT all day. No, I'd, I'd like to say I wish, but even if I had that capacity, I'd probably be like, I'd still be, you know, I'd still have that touch of terror about it. You know, it's a, uh... I find being busy in my life is good, but it kind of like forces me to find those opportunities. But as I say, I've already said, you know, uh, I'm also looking at excuses, you know, and I will have to kick those walls down eventually. Yeah. 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 If you want to write the book, then and you'll, yeah, find, you'll, you'll, yeah. you'll yeah. find the time it'll come. And Hey, yeah. you got plenty of time to write the book. You got two other books out. You're, just because your doses are uh, fewer and further between doesn't mean you can't document them and uh, order them in a way to put them in a book. Yeah, and, and more importantly, try and bring some valid analysis to the experience. That's what I really want to do. I mean, this is always going to be an immeasurable, but I think, you know, I think there's genuinely um, a science here, whether it's an occult science or a science of the uh, hidden I think there are mechanics here at play which can be, you know, agreed upon by um, those with experience and say, yeah, I, th I think there's some validity there. I think the argument's cogent. You're never going to be able to measure it or prove it, but there could be some consensus opinion as to what these experiences actually are. That's where I'm sort of headed. And that's one thing I really liked about how you wrote the book is you come at it at a very, you're very impartial and you don't have any pretensions. You're, you're not trying to push a narrative with your, you know, you're, you don't have some hippy-dippy bullshit narrative like someone like me, uh, for instance. And you're trying to use these experiences to push that narrative. You're yeah. just you're just documenting them as a, a independent third-party news source, essentially. You're not Fox yeah. or CNN. You're just somewhere in the middle. That's it. It's, it's for consideration. And if anybody wants to uh, scoff at it or, or like deride it, I'm not going to get upset. I know what I've experienced. I know what I've seen. I have my opinions. I started off with um, no fixed ideas as to what was occurring. I was open-minded, uh, good intentions. And I've had, you know, quite a few experiences. And, you know, I know what I've seen. I 
believe I have a good understanding as to what's uh, occurring to some extent. And it's for consideration. I'm not being dogmatic about it. Yeah, you're not. That, I, that's the perfect way to word it. You're, it's for consideration. You're not being dogmatic. And um, mm-hmm. I think that's important for anyone that wants to read the book is, is Dick's not trying to push a narrative on you. Um, he's, he's not trying to tell you to do this. It's, it's just, it's just documented. It's there for your consideration. Think of it, what you will interpret it, how you will. Um, mm-hmm. Both of you guys, I'm sure know, are familiar with the vibratory nature of the universe. We've talked about vibrations a lot in this podcast. Uh, a couple of minutes ago, Eric asked you a question about religion and you were talking about um, your father and, and churches and things like that. And you were talking about uh, the architecture of church and sa- different sacred places. Um, a lot of churches are built with a certain architecture so that they resonate a cer- certain frequency. Uh, like an, yeah, like an like an amphitheater, like something like that. But they're typically built so that they resonate a certain frequency. Because of that, I wonder what it would be like to puff on a DMT vape pen uh, on the pew of a, a church, a sacred a sacred site like that. You no, know, wouldn't wouldn't that be a real exciting? I don't want to say reuse because churches still use, but wouldn't that be really something if, um, you know, the church could have its regular service, but then could, you know, occasionally give up its building to, you know, some uh, ayahuasca Africanados. And, you know, that, that would be really tremendous, wouldn't it? Get the pews out, get some, get some mattresses or some comfy stuff in there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that would be awesome. Especially, I mean, yeah, some of the churches with the sacred geometry, you know, it really does kind of like give you that um, that frish and that, you know, um, rush in your right. soul, you know. And that, now that we say it out loud, you got me thinking, there's a wonderful artist named Alex Gray who is hugely into DMT culture and actually has his own uh, church sacred building, whatever you want to call it, that's very much built of sacred geometry and stuff like that. And I'm pretty sure that they do ayahuasca ceremonies and stuff like that there. Um, wow, man, that's incredible. I didn't know that. Look, look at them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it seems like it is a possibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, that's just something I wanted to throw out there that struck me earlier when you guys were talking. Um, hey, I, we've been going for a while, Dick. Um, uh, sorry for eating up too much of your time, but uh, Eric, I'm sure you have a few questions still to, as well. Um, let me spit out one of my questions. What was what was your favorite trip that you've had, Dick? The w- most profound that I think you described in your book was uh, rocket science. That one seemed to strike you a lot. Ooh, I can't remember that. I re- recognize the title, but I can't think back what the experience was. Uh so that was the one where the tactile perception that your mouth was formed of rubbery synthetic material oh, without yeah. doubt. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. My god, that is yeah. Bizarre conviction: the entity was entirely capable of rendering me a living and yet wholly synthetic being. Yeah, that that. So that was one of the very first, if not the first, invasive experience, and it just seemed to be able, it just made me feel like I was like a constructible puppet and I could be taken apart and put back together, you know, 
no no blood issues. It was just like I felt like constructible and synthetic and uh, how the entity could do that, I have got no idea. But my collarbones were rattling around. I mean, not literally. or At the time, it really felt like they were being manipulated to some bizarre extent. And, I mean, what they can do is just incredible. Okay, so maybe not your favorite experience, but definitely a profound one. What was your favorite experience? Maybe maybe not even from this first book. I think my, my favorite ones, and these are like a thematic experience, where I've, I've smoked outside. Because, you know, if you're saying that these entities are the ones imposing the visions, then what do these entities actually look like? Well, unless you're in their realm, you're probably not going to see them in their natural state unless you're in that realm and in that state also. But there's been experiences where I've smoked outside and, you know, uh, an entity's manifested in my setting. And it's been like a, a, a vast, almost like a huge multifaceted gemstone or diamond with like thousands of, you know, facets to it, all in beautiful geometry, beautiful symmetry. And, you know, you know, that's in otherwise consensus reality, you know, the house is there, the apple tree's there, the shed's there, the fence is behind me. My mind has filled the local sky and now something has manifested just right above me and it's vast and it looks absolutely beautiful. It's another life form. It's an occult life form. These are the things that will manifest and impose visions upon you or operate invasively within you, whether they're... I don't know, sealing up your lips or realigning your neural network. So those, to me, represent a triumph of my research because, I mean, you know, once you've seen those things, those life forms, it's like, wow. You know, it doesn't, I'm not bothered if anybody comes to me and says, I don't believe you or I think you're, you're seeing things that are not really there, they're, they're in your mind. I don't give a monkeys. I've seen those things and they are just, Wow. You know, just, you know, certainly confirms that we are not alone. But not only that, uh, possibly, likely not the crown of creation, the other life forms out there. And that may not be their natural configuration, but to see them configured in that beautiful way as vast, almost like multifaceted gemstones, you know, transparent and see-through but so obviously visible because of its uncommonly dense psycho-spiritual you know constitution wow that's just mind-blowing you know it's uh mesmerizing huh yeah mesmerizing Uh, yeah yeah yes absolutely um all right eric you want to go ahead and ask him a question by uh i want to bring up a little a story that mckenna said about uh he likes looking at these beings and their extremely complex, beautiful forms. He once asked, you know, show me your real self, show me your real form. And it got so unbelievably weird for him that he was like, all right, never mind, take it back. Yeah, I know, I know that quote. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know that quote. And I think, you know, the, um, the, 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 the experience that I was just relating there to Scott, I'm kind of saying that that's what's behind the veil. I know where McKenna's coming from. It, it can be 
frightening at times, but I was led there very slowly and very subtly. The, the experiences changed over time, you know. The invasive experiences came after time and after the invasive experience. Then they just said, let's just let's just manifest and, and show the guy what we like. And, and as I said, you know, I don't think a lot of people sort of get that kind of argument that I'm making for consideration, but to see those life forms configured in such beautiful sacred geometry and of such a size, then you can feel it. You know, you're not just seeing it, but you're feeling its power. I mean, these are really powerful and wise things on their own evolutionary arc you know they're in their own realm subject to their own laws whatever but to see that wow you know it's like you know i'm a big big fan of ufology and i think there is a link between whatever that enigma is and these dmt entities you know i mean i've experienced um, them operating in a quasi-physical paraphysical manner and i think it's the same with the uh, ufology sometimes those craft objects whatever one you want to call them they can manifest as solid objects but you know i don't think that's their real nature i just think they're absolute masters of i don't know mind manipulation their own mind you know makes you wonder what's in store for us after countless aeons of evolution i suspect that ultimately we will divest ourselves of our blood and bones and flesh and, and become something else on another plane. But as I say, that's countless aeons away. I don't think this thing, evolution doesn't work like that. It takes a very, very long time. Definitely. So you think these are like some, are you like, um, we were talking earlier about if the possibility of some of these entities were people once. So, um, it's got me thinking about the concept of like enlightenment and solar consciousness and then placing your solar consciousness in your solar body when you die so that when you go through the, um, when you kind of go through the cosmic washing machine that would wash your consciousness, right? So the, the idea is that we die, our consciousness goes to this, you know, celestial state and we experience that realm for however long. And then we go through a sort of cosmic washing machine that cleans our consciousness, makes us forget and then dissipates our energy back out to the universe, like a, a reincarnation cycle. So the idea of solar consciousness is that you reach enlightenment or solar consciousness and put that into your celestial body. And then when you go through the cosmic washing machine, you don't, you, you retain memory of, of yourself. Um, it's, it's, um, it's an idea in like Gnostic belief and like ceremonial magic. Um, so do you, do you think that some of these beings could be, um, uh, ascended masters? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, I buy into that. I think some of them have been on the terrestrial realm. And I think earlier we were talking, Scott, about, you know, like the, the chicken and egg. And I think with these entities, I think it's there's some kind of, I think there's some kind of coexistence because whatever they have, we have within us, you know, that, that astral aspect, you know, that mental aspect, that divine aspect. So there seems to be some aspect of coevolution between them and us. I mean, sometimes, 
you smoke DMT and it's like either the entity's there or it's interacting with you in such a way that sometimes you don't feel like it's an actual separate entity. You feel like you've sort of connected to a reservoir of, of energy that maybe spans the globe and it's just of a sort of archetypal nature. Sometimes it does feel like that, but I've got to say, I really like your phraseology, cosmic washing machine. I think that's absolutely inspired. Because what you were alluding to, yeah, I buy into that kind of those esoteric occult post-death mechanics. And I think the way you expressed it, like a cosmic washing machine. Yeah, absolutely. I think ultimately the ego will have to be incorporated into the spiritual ego. And when the spiritual ego reigns supreme, then maybe we've got that Christ consciousness you were alluding to, but it's going to be over, in my opinion, countless aeons. You know, there's going to be some tough trials ahead. You know, good things don't come easy. Yeah, good things definitely do not come easy. It takes trial and error. And mm -hmm. oh, that's the thing about it, too, is do you want to climb the mountain, Dick, or do you want to get helicopter dropped off at the top? It's going to be much more satisfying when you get to the top if you climbed it. You know? I wish you had not used that because I have got a terrible fear of heights. Oh, right. well, and you know, and I know he's kind of like, you know, they'll show you something on the TV or I'll be in a glass lift at work and my toes just like, <laughs> like a bird trying to cling onto a branch. And I know, deep down, I know that in this lifetime or another lifetime, I'm going to have to overcome that fear. And it makes me wonder why I've got that fear. It makes me wonder whether in some past life I've succumbed to some, you know, grotesque death from fall from height. So I really have this fear of heights. And uh, yeah, but yeah, like you say, when you've climbed the mountain, you're going to feel so much better. So, um, I have reoccurring dreams and sort of a fear of, I have reoccurring dreams of like drowning, bad things happening to me in the ocean, um, like uh, tightrope bridges that I'm having to walk over, over large bodies of water. And it's, it's the body of water that's part of my fear. It's, it's some sort of, uh, it's a, a fish, you know what I mean? It's something to do with water. And yeah. um, I actually, and in reality, I'm not a big fan of the ocean and stuff like that. Um, but I was telling a friend about this, th these dreams and this fear. And my friend, Eric actually told me that, um, well, maybe you died. Maybe you drowned in a past life. Yeah. I suspect there might be something like that because I have dreams with water and I just love those. I love swimming. I love the ocean. I love water, but heights, no, sir. You know, so it makes you wonder whether in past lives, uh, recent or remote, there has been some kind of like, you know, um, loss of life through, in your case, water, in my case, from a height. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that is interesting. What about you, Eric? Does, is, is there any fear that you have? What do you think happened to you in a past life? Like, I have an irrational fear of, like, getting shot in a drive-by or something when caught. Like, that. You, were probably, you were probably a Compton Crip in your past <laughs> life. That makes the most sense. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, um, yeah, you go ahead, Eric. What was I going to say? Uh, what, what is the time like in those experiences have you ever felt like you've been there for ages or does it always feel like 
15 minutes or the yeah, because you talked about salvia, too, and I've heard stories about people smoking salvia or DMT and feeling like they've been there for months, years, that they lived a life um, in that, you know, 30-minute, 15-minute span. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting because I have spoke to individuals, and it seems there have been some individuals who, with um, DMT, have smoked, and they are, you know, they state that they they – for a period they lived another life and they've come back with all these memories of this other life in their conscious mind. And, you know, I know I spoke to one individual and um, he was struggling with it, you know, because it was like he'd, he'd been on this trip and it was like three years of living another life. And he had all those memories in his conscious mind and he was struggling with that. So that, that happens. I got to say with the time dilation, I've not really experienced that. And either that's because my mindset was, really intently focused on observing and understanding the experience or I've just not been as deep as maybe other people have on magic mushrooms yeah for sure I've experienced that time dilation profoundly but less so on DMT so yeah maybe maybe that's to be experienced in future research but not not so much no I'm not at the time dilation so much so maybe that has something to, you remember earlier you were talking about different archetypes affecting different people, you know, different people having different experiences. Maybe that has something to do with it too, but you know, we're certain yeah, soul so types, soul groups or whatever. Yeah, no, it's a good, good way of explaining it. It could well be. I mean, I have wondered whether, you know, I, I've made no bones about it with these entities that I'm writing a book. And as I said earlier, I'm, I'm sort of beseeching their uh, assistance with that. So I have wondered whether, you know, some of the entities have known that I'm writing a book and have said, right, okay, let, let's give him this experience or let's give him this or let's give him that. I mean, maybe not with each and every experience, but I, I, I do consider sometimes I've been indulged. And to qualify that, when I was sort of coming to the end of my three years and I thought, right, okay, I'm going to stop researching now. Uh, my last few experiences were in the landing, you know, just through the door there. It's a small area at the top of the stairs. And... I was smoking DMT. And as I said, the, the, the real magic is in within those first few seconds when the entity manifests and imposes its power upon the user. And the, the experiences were like really slowed down, you know. So those first few seconds were stretched out over like two or three minutes. And the entity was kind of like, I don't know, I could feel how its energy was interacting with my mind stuff. And it was like weaving into it longitudinally or perpendicularly, but it was really slowed down. And I really felt like, you know, they were not, the entity was knowingly indulging me in my sort of research inquiry. It's really interesting. You know, it's um, seemed to be no other reason for it to do that. Do you uh, ever consider like the connection between you two almost like uh like a sexual connection of sorts? Between myself and the entity? Yeah. Well, because I asked, because I had a LSD trip one time where it felt like this thing went through me. And then when I got done, it was like, I felt like I just got laid. I was like, and I like put glasses on and I was like space, you know. Yeah, yeah. So like, I'm, I don't know. I've had... I've had nothing overtly sexual. I've had I've had massages, and I mean, really, like 
bizarre massages. I've had like my brain massaged. I've had my temples massaged. I've even been laid on my back and had like a really thorough back massage as the entity operates in that quasi-physical, paraphysical manner and has given me a beautiful, you know, back massage that's really sort of put me in bliss. In terms of sexuality, nothing of uh, There was one occasion where I... um I smoked again on the landing, and I think it was it was after the experience and all that mind stuff is still in the air. You can see that kind of, you know, psycho-spiritual, uncommonly dense substance. And uh, there was one occasion where, you know, there was this, like, it was like a pornographic image of a, a lady in stockings bent over, exposing her ear. And I, um, I kind of, as much as I have a really healthy sex life with my wife you know and i'm you know i'm not i'm not so narrow-minded as to say i've never seen porn and it doesn't interest me but in that kind of like post experienced state seeing that kind of imagery within my own psycho spiritual substance i didn't like it i was like no you shouldn't be here you know that that's like you know it's like i want to sort of keep that separate I remember speaking to um, one guy a couple of years ago and he seemed to be like smoking DMT and looking at porn. And we had this conversation and um, I couldn't really understand where he was coming from, but his fixation seemed to be smoke DMT. Obviously it wouldn't be a breakthrough dose, but smoking it and looking at porn and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really unusual, but no, I I prefer to keep them. So I'll be honest, if an entity wants to come and make love to me, even though I'm married, I'm probably not going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> and I will have to, I will have to seek my wife's um, forgiveness. Really yeah, you know, and any, any really sort of like, you know, powerful female entities up there, you know, want to provide that kind of experience for book three. I'll put some after aftershave on. Yeah. I, I, you know. Some aftershave. <laughs> Burn an incense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's tongue-in-cheek, but yeah. Tongue-in-cheek. But in a sense, uh, like, I guess the energy exchange is not, it's not like sexual in a physical sexual sense, but it, as in like emotional, uh, mental exchange of energy is sort of... Powerful, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been moved to tears many times and like your heart swells with with love and adoration i mean there's been occasions where i've had experiences in the garden and the entities give me a tremendous experience and it, it sung around afterwards and kind of like sort of looked at me gazed upon me questioningly as like you know who are you what have you got for me and i've kind of like felt obliged to like torn my shirt open and felt like if i could tear my chest open and offer my heart up to the entity I would do so. That that feels like the natural reaction. And that I suppose you're looking at concepts such as devotion and worship. You know, you're clearly in the presence of something that is evolutionarily by far your superior. And to like act, you know, disrespectfully or ignorantly, it doesn't doesn't behold you in any way endearingly to the entity, and uh, and I've I've undertaken some pretty bizarre actions, but at the time they felt absolutely natural, and I stand by them. Certainly enough to document them honestly. 
it's definitely something that you have to be like sincere. I don't want to say yeah. serious because I don't like that word because I'm a silly person, but you have to be sincere. It's like mm. you said, it's like going to a funeral in a, in a Hawaiian shirt. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you're right. It's got, you've got to be, because I say, as we said earlier, you know, your thoughts and feelings are probably not as private as you would like to think they are in those, um, especially in those States. Right. Right. Cause I feel like those beings work on a telepathic level. Yes, yeah, like, the communication, I mean, I have had some verbal communication, but by and large, it, it's very much telepathic, and, you know, I think it's right to assume it works works both ways. Yeah, wonder, go ahead, Eric. I wonder if they can see our mind, like, see each other's bodies, like, if it's just clear to them. I suspect so, I suspect we're like an open book to them, but I think... I think the depth to which they will go into your psyche probably depends on one how much you have smoked and how 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 powerful the entity is and maybe there's some natural defense against lower entities I don't know maybe not getting too deep you know I I don't know it's these are become deep philosophical but interesting questions You think there's any free will on how deep you can allow them to go like you can't go any deeper please stop that's a really good question i think i think with dmt just it just doesn't come down to the substance but it comes down to you as an individual sort of where you're at karmically um what state your chakra health is in you know um I think with DMT, it's a forced mystical experience. And to some extent, you're probably leapfrogging, you know, you're leapfrogging the capacity of your chakras to, you know, interact with these entities. But I think ultimately it's going to come to a limit, but it could be different for different individuals, depending on their spiritual maturity. It's like the guy from on DMT, the spirit molecule, he had that very physical feeling and it popped through his, his head. And, you know, he, he said he, he saw, you know, the clouds, the gods, the winged beams, you know, and, uh, yeah, I think it's a really moving and profound part of that documentary. And I really sort of bought into what he said he had experienced and seen. So I think it probably comes down to the individual, but, you know, I mean, there's that concept that, esoteric occult concept that with the um, what is it with the right attitude or the right will you know even the the gates of heaven can be stormed so you know anything's possible um dick throughout this entire podcast we've given tons of tips and hints on suggestions on um trying dmt but uh do you think that you could give one broad overall synopsis advice for anyone looking to dip their toe or dive in this pool? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I can only really look back at how I approached it. And I think, you know, do, do the research, listen to what others have said, question why you want to go into it. If you feel it's calling you, heed that call. Um, You know, I'm a big proponent of 
extracting your own DMT rather than purchasing it. I've never purchased it. You know, um, I know it's difficult for some people who really want to try it, but, you know, it seems all the materials and the extraction techniques are readily available online. Obviously, follow the, the proper safety precautions if you're using any aggressive or flammable chemicals and do that research and then be curious um decide whether you want to jump in at the deep end or whether you want to sort of wade in gradually you know yourself better than i do um set and setting is paramount maybe have a trip city with you but by and large i've i've researched alone so it's not i would argue it's not essential and um make sure that you uh you know, if you commit it to it, commit to it. Going with curiosity, courage, uh, uh, and respectful sincerity. Um, when you've smoked it, lay back. Remember to breathe, observe, and then when you come out of the experience, reflect and integrate it into your everyday existence. You know, incorporate it into your mindset. You know, it's 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 something that's it's. Uh, ontological shock i think is the phrase that's going around at the moment it, it really will shock you because you will have seen something that you could not otherwise have imagined so yeah just that be brave be uh, courageous be curious and be respectful um and i would like to add to that as uh as which by the way i, I shouldn't add to that that was all no ter- terrific advice um and there's not really much that I could add to that. But since you're on the podcast and um, since I'm a writer as well, not of books, but I write comedy, I keep journals, uh, like daily journals, uh, dream journals. I keep spiritual journals, uh, meditation notes, things like that. I'm always noting things. I also would suggest that it might be beneficial to document your experiences as well. Maybe title your notebook like simulated DMT experiences or like what I imagine smoking DMT is like, you know, um, <laughs> frame it as a fairy tale, <laughs> but it, th- that would probably be beneficial to, to document your experiences. That way you can reflect back on them, look at the, the crossovers and uh, interpret them like you would dreams. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I, I really found it helpful uh, writing my experiences down. I think it's hugely helpful. I imagine it is helpful for you. I bought the book. <laughs> <laughs> Seem to be doing well for yourself. You got a nice fancy hat. I don't have a hat like that. Oh, man. I, I, you know what? I don't know whether I think I must have found this. I've had it for years and years, and it's like uh, it's become like a part of my life. I've had it for like I don't know countless years. So um, it's like, where's my hat? Where's my dear stalker hat? So yeah, it just sort of keeps me incognito to uh, a reasonably pleasing extent. I hope so. Anyway. I don't want to go into work next week and say, "Yeah, so you ones got ones." Don't worry, nobody's going to watch this. <laughs> All seven people are going to be like, "Man, that guy was amazing." <laughs> no, um, Eric, go ahead, bud. You ask another question. I, I want to peter out here and just Eric will bounce questions back and forth before we stop. All right. Um, have you ever tried the five meo DMT? 
I have got five M E O D M T. I I do you know what I've got? The, I've got the, and I have got the toad medicine, and I prepared a pipe here a couple of weeks ago, and it's still there. It's still wrapped. I hope it's not oxidised, and I'm back to those excuses again because with this. I want a sitter for the first experience. I want my wife to watch me. So getting that time with the children around and a setting setting that I'm comfortable with. Yeah, it will get tried and it will be incorporated into DMT and my cult mine three. But as yet, no, I'm a five MEO virgin, but you know, I'm, she's all there behind me. I'm just, just waiting for the opportunity. And I'm very lucky, you know, people have been really kind. And for my research, they have they have gifted me, you know, synthetic and the genuine toad medicine. So I'm very lucky to have some really good friends looking out for me out there. Those are some good good friends. Yeah. yeah. It's good to have friends in high places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I wasn't going to ask this question, so this gives us time for extra question. Have you ever smoked it in the bathtub? That's where I want what my next experience to be. I want to be in water. I want to be in a bathtub. I I have been in the bath, and I have imagined what it would be like smoking DMT in the bath. And you know what? Not so much the acoustics, but those hard surfaces, the capacity for that entity to really kind of like put it on you. I just think I'd be freaking out. So no, I haven't. I haven't. You're saying like the like the space is too claustrophobic. Like it, it wouldn't no, take much not to squeeze. So much, not so much that, but with I think I don't know if it's in book one or book two, but in in um, physics there's a, a law called Beer's law, which states that when radiant energy impinges upon a surface, it's either uh, reflected, absorbed, or transmitted. So if I smoke DMT indoors, my mind stuff amplifies, the room becomes turbulent and looks underwater, and I'm arguing, or for consideration anyway, that some of that energy transmits through the walls, some of it's absorbed into walls, and some of it's reflected. And I just think in the bathroom with those hard surfaces, I just think it would be like, I just think it would be intense. I mean, the bathroom's as big as the landing, so it's not the size that puts me off. It's the hard walls of the hard surface of the walls. I just, um, I don't know if I'd have the courage to do that. Be so an experience, it, though. It's the tile and the porcelain, and just, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, it's just, um, I have wondered whether I'd ever do it, and uh, I would never say never, but it, it's like it's a big ask for me that. I don't know if anybody ever ever done it. All right, that's a that's good input. I've been thinking about, like I said, I've been kind of fantasizing about that, so I'm giving it second thought now. New fantasy, um, cabin in the woods, hot tub on the deck. So you're like you're like in a hot tub, but you also have the vastness the infinites of outdoors you have the stars now you're selling it now that sounds perfect that right. sounds really good yeah. and then we'll puff on opium when we come down <laughs> sounds brilliant let's get that booked <laughs> yeah. yes. we can do a podcast <laughs> yeah that sounds really good it's interesting because you like if you consider different locations to smoke DMT, and I thought, what what would happen if you smoked it in a submarine, you know, like deep Ooh. down? What would happen if you smoked it in um, a pothole or a caving system or 
on the International Space Station, you know, all these <laughs> locations. And I, I don't yeah. know. Be <laughs> brave. So I think out of all of those, I think I prefer to be on the International Space Station. Yeah, yeah, that's down funny. in the bowels of the Earth, and then like you're there with your your pipe and your lighter or your vape device. Like here we go. I don't know what would happen. Well, earlier we were talking when I brought up churches another place i was thinking about is just sacred sites in general a lot of sacred sites are built on ley lines which yeah. is um a, a metaphysical thing whether it's real or not um or they're built on like geologic anomalies like places where you would go and with a compass and it would just spin like the bermuda triangle yeah 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 absolutely. or um another thing that's uh a, usually a spiritual place in cultures is caves like deep, yeah. in a, deep in a cave. Yeah. And and there's this thing with, what is it, uh, acoustic archaeology, or uh, probably mispronounced that, but I think some of these old cave designs were maybe purposefully designed for people to have these kind of um, mind-manifesting experiences. And maybe there are benefits to being in a, a subterranean chamber with those hard wall surfaces. Who knows? Could be. Yeah, there's a lot of strange, like, subterranean um, depictions and, and mysticism and uh, uh, UFOlogy and things like that. Um, um, Native American culture. Um, there seems to be some weird connection, correlation between, like, caves and crystals and spirituality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, you know, being down in a cave system or a pothole, I I think I would struggle to commit to a DMT experience deep down there. Right, it'd have to be a you'd have to get down in the cave and then be some big open area like yeah, um, yeah. and then then maybe like uh, just tons of quartz all around you just to yeah. amplify right, something. Yes, um, Eric, you go ahead, brother. Uh, there's a guy, Geo or. Like that, uh, he did it in a pyramid, like laying in the 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 tomb, like sarcophagus thing, and they talked about going through thirteen dimensional space. And Isis came to him and gave him energetic powers. And I don't know, a pyramid would be a rad place to do it. That yes. that, that would be something. That'd be amazing. I was. There's um, a reference to I think the last person to spend a night alone in the the, the Giza pyramid was there was a gentleman called Paul Brunton I think it was in the 1920s when permission was easier to obtain and he spent a night alone in the um, king's chamber obviously you know he got no mind manifesting substances with him but he had this really sounds like a DMT experience where you know he, he felt tremendous fear and then this white robe um entity or being came to him and um yeah you know i mean that was without any psychedelic substances but for sure that seems to be uh we talked about uh ley lines it seems to be a very highly energized construction whatever it was used for you know it does seem to uh i can imagine it really would promote that kind of experience without any psychedelics so um, in this, I, I mentioned this earlier, Bob Frizzell and uh, that book, Nothing in This Book is True, but it's exactly how things are. And he talks about the Great Pyramids being like 
uh, an initiation chamber for young godlings to reach Christ consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. And in one of the sections of the Great Pyramid, one of these chambers is a fourth dimensional space where Mm -hmm. your thoughts manifest to reality, your thoughts and your emotions. Uh, So when you describe this person, you know, having this what sounds like a DMT experience when they have no conscious altering substances that almost kind of solidifies that theory mm. that there's a fourth dimensional space in there. Um, yeah, another, another theory of the great pyramids. And I think, I think Graham Hancock talks about this. Um, there's a video on YouTube called it's about Nikola Tesla and the pyramids. It's on a channel called after school. But what it talks about is kind of the same concept as the churches we were talking about earlier. Um, the pyramids aren't four-sided, first of all. It's, it's got indents on each of the four sides, so it's actually yeah. eight-sided. And the theory is that the Great Pyramid is built in this certain acoustic way to recreate the life, like like the death cycle, the, the yeah. life birth, the, the, the rebirth and death cycle. Um, a fourth dimensional space, a resonant frequencies. It's, uh, so when you hear about people dying in the pyramids of these strange things, you wonder, is, is that what happened? Because you're already, so you're already going in there with a fear-based consciousness because of movies like Indiana Jones and just those type of cons, all the stories about the tomb raiders and things, the pyramids are cursed. Um, no, it's, you're cursed. Mm. Well, that uh, yeah, and that raises interesting questions as to how DMT is going to be, wh- how it's going to be viewed by the institutions of society as it becomes more and more popular as it is doing. I'm thinking in particular traditional church authorities, you know, Christian Catholic Church, how they're going to view these experiences when you know more and more. Don't want to say youth, but you know, young adults and young people are sort of turning to direct experience of the spiritual rather than sort of attending church. And I think there might be some, you know, I think some of them are going to have a different mindset to those of us who are using it. I think they're probably going to lean on the authorities, that the governments, to try and try and regulate it. Obviously, what's happening in America with some cities or states is really encouraging, you know, with um, obviously um, cannabis, marijuana, but more so psilocybin and DMT, you know, some, some states, cities, counties, whatever seem really woke to that fact. But um, in the UK, it doesn't even seem to be an argument or a discussion at the moment. Obviously with this pandemic, I can understand why, but I think it does now need to form part of the narrative, you know, coming out of this pandemic and, I think it's despicable that the only genuinely mind manifest uh, the, the the legal drugs are still alcohol and tobacco. That just is ridiculous to me. Well, and a lot of the trials here too, they've proven with substances like psilocybin that they're beneficial for people Absolutely. with anxiety and depression. So yeah. how, how great do you think that could be for just entire populations of countries coming out of quarantine, lockdown, no job, just all the stresses that are coming with this situation. How beneficial could psychedelic experiences be for 
the world absolutely, right now. Absolutely agreed. We uh, there's, there's uh, programs on TV that are talking about mental health, but regrettably, there's no mention of psychedelics, and I just think it's really it's um, disconcerting that you know. In, in, in some countries, that argument is divorced from the narrative. I think it, it needs to be part of the narrative. Yeah, 100%. I believe that psilocybin, LSD, DMT, MDMA, they can all have medicinal value and spiritual value. I mean, um, like Native Americans and peyote, same thing yeah. applies to peyote. I, I yeah. believe that um, they all have... At the same time, they can all be abused and uh, or used with ill intent. Mm, um, true. So, at the same time, it's, so it's hard to be like uh, you. You shouldn't be able to go get it at Seven Eleven, but <laughs> there should be a certain level of trust me with my own consciousness. Um, but it, uh, yeah, I guess it would have to be regulated in a certain way through yeah. through therapy. Psychedelic therapist, essentially. Or under license, you know, um, maybe apply, have a check with your GP, you, you, you know, the doctor, um, physical, mental check. And, uh, you know, you can see that there's an industry there and you can see that, you know, it can be, can be regulated, could be taxed. Obviously, it needs to come out with a massive uh, health education campaign as well. And, it's, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be slowly, slowly over generations. But I uh, just feel like I can see the change. I can see that there are accounts, social media accounts, really sort of pushing that narrative. And I think it's got to come. It's just a question of how long governments can ignore having that debate in a, a grown-up manner like, like they should be, but regrettably don't. Right. And I think another thing you could do with that too is, you know, everything they're doing right now is very clinical and very, um, you know, seems to be a a therapist and a a patient. Mm -hmm. So um, as this grows, I, I definitely see it blossoming into like uh, a psychedelic retreat. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I mean, not not that we don't already have those with music festivals. It's just unsanctioned psychedelic mm-hmm. retreat. But if mm-hmm. you could literally have, you know, how they have like the classy rehab centers for you know heroin crack addicts. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I overcame uh, actually um, cocaine addiction through the use of psychedelics. So I definitely see its benefits. But um, what I was getting at is if if they are ultimately going to be used for medicine for people's mental health, then what you do is you create these, uh, you know, retreats, you create a retreat, uh, you create a, an amusement park essentially for psychedelic therapy for people to Mm -hmm. have psychedelic therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can see it happening and you can see, you can already see, you know, it's spawning new genres in art. You've got Alex Gray, um, Samuel Ferrand, uh, Insa Digris, in music, obviously from my perspective and other writers, you know, um, making philosophical arguments or arguments for consideration about, you know, otherworldly realities. So, you know, it's spawning a lot of new genres that will shape, you know, culture and society and, and ways of thinking. You know, I'm really privileged to be a small part of that. It's very exciting, but, you know, it's... Uh, Hopefully, you know, my approach will encourage other people to 
undertake similar research and document it because it's only by writing and analysing and sharing your opinions that we're going to come to some ultimately consensus opinion. Maybe not in my lifetime. It's still very much a data collection stage, but yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, I think it is important to document your experiences in a and like like I was explaining how you do impartial without a narrative, um, just to document them so that it, it almost has a scientific nature to it. And that if more people did that and less people were open about their psychedelic use to to defeat the stigma and the taboo around it, which is yeah. slow, it's increasing, it's becoming increasingly less taboo. There, I mean, there's a there's a documentary on Netflix right now called "Have a Good Trip, Have a Nice Trip" that yeah. has all sorts of comedians, actors, singers, people from all backgrounds of, that are famous talking about their psychedelic experiences. So, mm-hmm. um, it is exciting, Dick, to to be on the front lines of this movement. Um, because I really do think we are moving towards something great. Yeah. If we can keep our wits about us, and um, I especially think it's important for people like the three of us to have these conversations too, where we can where we can um, vocalize ourselves, and not just vocalize ourselves, but show that we're not just uh, burnouts or like. Mm. Um, burnouts, for lack of a better term, that that we can have a intelligent conversation with people, be functional members of society, be uh, a father, a husband, uh, an author, and work a nine to five or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's as valid. It's um, it, it's a, a good way to. I don't want to say sell it, but to portray it as um. And I don't even want to say lifestyle choice, but as something that you can incorporate into your life that is ultimately going to be beneficial for you, those around you, and ergo wider society. Yes, if used correctly. If used correctly, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there will always be those that abuse it. It's the same with alcohol, regrettably. You know, I've certainly abused weed in, in my youth. You know, I've had 20 years... You know, I don't smoke it now, but things can be abused. And, uh, yeah, that's just the nature of humanity, isn't it? I would say my experiences with DMT have really bolstered my emotional intelligence. I think possibly before it was somewhat lacking, whereas now I feel it's really bolstered my emotional intelligence and made me a better husband, father, employee and genuine member of society. Yeah, I agree with that too. Between psychedelics and um, Eastern philosophy lectures, I feel like I've become a lot better person. I'm still growing, never too enlightened to seek enlightenment, never too uh, mature to try to better yourself and be better than the person you were the previous day. Well said. Well Eric, said. I, I have two more questions, but if you want to go ahead and ask a question, then I'll... Um. I just want to state that, like, if it's great that everything like psychedelics help with depression and people who are like cancer patients who are dying and stuff. And but I really hope that in the future that it's not just given to sick people, that it's given to healthy people 
to further their spiritual knowledge or growth or just to see a bigger picture in life. I don't want to see it just become as like something you give to terminally ill people. Uh, I want to see it become, like you said, a retreat center where anyone can go and grow on the path. And as far as questions go, um, do you know, like, have you ever heard of the non-dual or yeah, the non-dual state, like, what where you are one with the universe? It's yeah, that. but the five meo is supposed to give us or give you that, and I've had it with the NNM DMT as well, and I was wondering if you've ever had that where. It's like not you and something else, but just you completely everything. Uh, there's I, no- I don't. I don't think I've been that far, but I've had a couple of experiences outdoors where I have put so much of my mind stuff outside of me that I've not known who I am, what I am, where I am, and felt like like the creator of the universe. I'm not even talking God. I'm talking that ever unknowable you know originator of the universe it felt like you're there with him or it or whatever it is you know or that that thing is in that moment is cognizant of what you're experiencing because it's so paired back to the ultimate divinity or whatever of you you know that 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 essential of essential aspect of you that's shared with the universe so i wouldn't say i've experienced that absolute duality not that i've read from other people but very close like completely aloof from the rest of humanity so yeah but i've not i wouldn't say i've had that one that you've referred to now not yet eric are you explaining like uh unity consciousness yeah in a sense yeah there's there's no separation between you and the thing, and there's no there's no you and a thing. There's just like this emptiness, like and but the emptiness is something. It's you, and it's. it's <laughs> yeah, I, I've no, I've um, I've I've not you know not experienced that yet. It's like you become one with the void. <laughs> yeah, in a sense, yes. I think I heard someone describe hey. it recently is like if you were a dolphin and the universe were like a fishing net and that you just kind of become entangled in each other like it is you realize that you are just one thing yeah it because it it comes like because you're kind of always watching there's you and the object and you're always the subject watching the object but when those lines break down and the subject and the object are one thing that's the when you become the watcher yeah i guess right that's how alan watts explains it right like you are not your thoughts you are you're you're watching your thoughts and like we are we are actually all that we are all like the watcher and the infinite consciousness but we're like behind a mask of what we think is ourself yeah Something like that. <laughs> um, but the 5-MEO is supposed to give that, like, on regular. Yeah. So, 
I hope maybe you'll find that out in your next book there in your first. Yeah, I'm really excited to, uh, I say really excited to try it. You know, there's some trepidation. And as I say, I want to get the moment right. I want my wife to oversee me. I don't want to be worried that my children are going to come into the room or whatever. But yeah, it's got to feature. If there is a third book, there's no guarantee there will be, but it's got to feature as with ayahuasca um, for ACODMT. Uh, yeah, I've tried intramuscular injection, which is obviously different to intravenous. That that was quite that was intense, and that's something I'll pursue again. You did the intravenous. Now that lasts like thirty minutes, doesn't it? No, not intravenous. That's like in the vein. I uh, I haven't got the. Um, oh okay. But so this was intramuscularly. So you know, in glutinous maximus, and obviously following hygienic etiquette, um, I had. Um, an online friend, I think, based over in uh, North America, Canada, and uh, took me sort of through what I needed to do to produce the, um, you know, produce the DMT hygienically and sterilely, and then how to inject it intramuscularly. And, uh, yeah, I've done it two or three times. Um, first two, just testing the waters, and then third time. Yeah, it was really intense few hours, to say the least. But, yeah, it's something I would do again. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Eric, uh, Dick, is the 5-MeO harder to extract? Is that why it's not as common? Um, go ahead. No, I, I, I don't I don't know. I have uh, no idea. To be I think it's made synthetically in, like, the lab, so I, I think it is harder to make like you'd have to know more than just basic chemistry and also if you want to get it non-synthetically you have to get it from the toad so you have to find a toad and squeeze a toad to get it so oh okay 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 (laughs) (laughs) that makes sense yeah all right um dick i obviously i i read the first book um i loved it I, i i did the podcast i loved it so much um, but that, and that's, that's all a good enough reason in and of itself, but why, why should I read the second book? Um, so the first book is actually a revision. So the, the original first book was retired. So I don't think I've got a copy at hand, but yeah, here we go. So the original DMT and cult mind was this, this big thick thing. And I, I don't know, I I just came to the view that it was too wordy and it wasn't the writing style that I'd adopted in my second book. So I retired this and re-released it as DMT and My Cult Mind Light, which is what you've got. So you should read the second book because it provides, it's got more experiences, but more importantly, it's got far more commentary and uh, analysis into the experiences and what they are and, and what I think the esoteric mechanics are. Um, the beginning documents what happened after I published the original DMT and my cult mind light because I'm a self-published author, so I'm, it's all my own work. I've got no publisher working on bad behalf with a, a sort of marketing division. Everything I do, it's all me and my will to sort of promote this because I think it's worth promoting. Again, not myself, but the DMT experience, the DMT entities, so it is a bigger book. It's more expensive, but I think it, the writing style is very direct 
Uh, and I think there's some absolutely wonderful experiences in there and some really insightful analysis. So, yeah, it's a good read. I, I would say that I'm prejudiced, but no, I, I put my heart and soul into it. I I would not have published any of these books if I wasn't 100% satisfied with them or near enough. Okay, and that, that gets me excited because as much as I did enjoy your impartial outtake and your you know, lack of narrative commentary. Um, I still was seeking some sort of personal interpretation of what it was that you experienced. So I'm excited to read the second book and see that from you, especially now that I've spoken to you and just get more of a feel for your personality, what kind of person you are. But um, yeah, to to see your commentary on it and just how you perceived it and and, um, how you interpreted it, that's... That's exciting to me. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. Thank you very much. Eric, last question for Dick, for you. Um, I just had the, is there anything else you wanted to say that you didn't get to say that you want to leave us with there? Ooh, that is another good question. I'm not sure. I've got to say, it's probably the longest interview I've ever done, and I've, I don't think I've ever covered so much ground in an interview. So now asking me, is there anything I didn't say that I wanted to say? I, I, I would say, look, if anybody um, has purchased the books and enjoyed them, please leave a positive review because, you know, I'm, I'm a self-published author. As I say, I've got nobody working for me you know it's um i'm not doing this for financial gain you know i'm writing in a very rarefied genre it's never going to make me you know rich or wealthy and i'm not pursuing that but if anybody does choose to look at the books and enjoys them a positive review would be an honest positive review would be very welcome indeed that's what i would like to say and also thank you to anybody who has or intends to purchase the books Oh, another question would be, how many people have come up to you and been like, Dick, I experienced what you experienced, what you're saying resonates with me. Like, gosh, I think you got it right on the money or. Yeah, quite a few. So I've made some really awesome friendships from people all around the world. And, you know, a few people, not everyone, um, really sort of no I won't say buy into what I say but share those opinions those arguments that I give consideration they see where I'm coming from other people have explained um experiences and asked me to interpret them and I've kind of given a, a an outline interpretation based on my opinions and it's blown them away because if what I'm arguing is valid then I should be able to offer some outline indication as to what's happened in in each and every experience and uh, so far so good some people like blown away and then said i never thought of it that way but yeah you know it's common that people smoke dmt and they see the the clowns or the goblins or the else and think that's the entity well i'm arguing no it's not i'm arguing they are constructs of the mind that's interacting with you the entity is a mind it's a it's a life form of hidden aka occult nature 
and it's imposing its own imaginative fancies upon your heightened perceptions, whether it's human-like entities or aliens or clowns or elves or dwarfs or fantastic scenery. It's also able to operate quasi-physically, paraphysically, inducing the illusion of uh, movement or transport through uh, a realm. But ultimately, no, it's... uh, these are wonderful tricks, illusory tricks by very powerful entities of uh, occult that is hidden nature. That's deep. They yeah. Appear to you however they need to appear to deliver their meaning. You know, I think I really like that. I, I really like what you said because I think my experience has been that these experiences are progressive and initiatory they change subtly over time and maybe it's different for each individual but that's certainly what i experienced so the experiences to begin with were just so beautiful and joyful i mean it was like why would i not want to go back for those experiences they were just delightful And, yeah, I think it kind of draws you in. And I think if you're of a mindset like I was, that's really inquisitive and sort of sincerely determined to understand it, you know, a deeper level, then it will welcome you in and slowly change over time. And as you can see, it's kind of given me, uh, I would say, maybe unique or original insight into the experiences. I'm not saying I'm an expert and I'm not saying I know everything. And I would say I've barely scratched the surface of what surface of what is a very deep and profound mystery. But I think going in sincerely with a genuine intention to understand it helped me, you know, answer those questions I had myself. Yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you. No, I think it's uh, it's a very religious, uh, spiritual, powerful, all the all the adjectives, acronyms, whatever whatever you can think of. It's that. It's it's wow. It's impossible. It's yeah. uh, more real than reality. It's life changing. Absolutely, it's, it's life changing. It's definitely life changing. I have I have experiences that I think about all that. I think about almost every day. Yeah. I'm like sure that. you guys do too. <laughs> the first, uh, the first time that I smoked DMT, I that I couldn't, I couldn't shake the experience. It, it, it did not leave my brain. I mean, I would think about it every day for a good two, three years after that. Mm. And it, and it, it will wake you up to being a better person. Not in, a, not in a scary way. Unless you want to perceive it that way, then that's on you. Mm. We have the choice on how we interpret things. Things just happen. <laughs> um, this has been an excellent conversation, you guys. Thank you both for doing this, Eric, Internal Dynamics, and Dick. Um, Dick, another thing that I've been doing before I um, sign off on these podcasts recently, there's a lot going on in the world. Um you know, usually Eric and I would be in person doing this video chatting with you, but, you know, because of coronavirus land and COVID and six feet and all that, um, everybody's on lockdown and stuff. I mean, we're coming out of it, but we're living in strange times with that and um, racial tensions in my country. I know that you guys have been having demonstrations there as well. 
Mm-hmm. So um, putting all the themes of the um, th- th- this isn't this isn't to the psychedelic community. This is to everybody. If if you were on TV right now and could speak to everybody in the world, if if you could give your message to every person in the world right now, what would you say? Oh my gosh, that is a question, Scott. Oh my gosh, what you're in the it? you're in the rose garden at the White House. You're in the uh, I would say Buckingham I would Palace. say people. There's going to be a massive change of direction. We are going to begin to regulate and provide ayahuasca retreats across the land. (laughs) We are going to create a wholesale psychedelic industry that's going to heal all you mofos. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, you know, something along that. I mean, you know, it's it's tongue-in-cheek, but there's some serious sincerity to it. Look, you know, there's so much healing to be had from psychedelics. And we can see with, um, as you've alluded to, you know, with the lockdown and the racial tensions, humanity does need healing. You know, I mean, I don't want to say that aside, but there's other things such as materialism and, and greed. I mean, that's really one that sticks in my craw. You know, how, how, how can a society deal with greed and greedy individuals? Because, you know... Everybody always wants more. You want what your neighbor's got. Well, that makes you greedy, you know. I, I don't want to be the kind of person like, you know, I want what you've got because then I become greedy. So how do you change that? And I think the only way we can do it is is through psychedelics, you know. Um, again, it's not for everybody, but I don't know. I think, I think it can really impose some really profound change. And I think, you know, some people operate on maybe too much fear and too much greed and... Um, you know, it maybe doesn't make them good individuals. So if we can change those kinds of mindsets and have that kind of same energy, but towards some positive promotion of the best that's in humanity, then let's have it. Let's wheel it out. Dude, that, that was beautifully said, Dick. Um, I like how you, I like how you started it off with some humor, but yeah, there was very much. Oh, you're asking some tough questions, dude. <laughs> I mean, these are the types of talks that I have with my friends, man. Yeah. Uh-oh, this is just what we do. So, our, so <laughs> what you're saying is if I elect Dick Khan as supreme ruler of the world, you're promising ayahuasca and the water supply? I, I am saying ayahuasca retreats across the lands. We're going to wheel them out. We're going to have, we're going to have the works. <laughs> you got my vote. Thank you, man. You got my vote as well. Guys, be sure to follow Internal Dynamics on Facebook. That's Eric's. um, Eric is a DJ, a wonderful DJ. We're making some pretty terrific beats and uh, sounds here lately. His beeps and boops. We love them. You're also on YouTube, right? Internal Dynamics? Uh, Not really. SoundCloud. uh, I'm I'm on it. All right. SoundCloud. Yeah. Post more of your links on your Facebook page and stuff too, because I want to see that. Eric's really good at what he does, Dick. And Dick, you're amazing at what you do too. You discredit yourself a lot in this book and other interviews about you're not creative enough to. You're a very individual, uh, smart individual, and and you've done an amazing job with this book. Everybody, DMT, my occult mind, light by Dick Con. And then what's the second book called, Dick? Uh, that is DMT and my occult mind number two. And there it is. 
And the next one in the series, should it get done, and I'm intense, they will get done, will be DMT and my occult mind three. And that will be the final in that series. What's the story behind the art there on the cover? So I was, oh, I don't know if you know, but the classic DMT machine was a, a miniature pipe fashioned from a, a spirit, spirits bottle, a miniature spirits bottle. And the art on there is what I use throughout my research. It's the classic DMT machine. It's a, a small glass bottle pipe fashioned from a drink bottle used to smoke DMT. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I used it throughout my research. So I thought it's only right that I um, embolden it on the um, cover of DMT and my cult mine too. No, I love it. You're getting back to, you're getting back to the roots of everything. Yeah, thank you. Um, also, tell everybody how they can find you on social media. Yeah, sure. So I'm um, on Instagram as DMT Researcher. I'm on Twitter as DMT underscore Researcher. And I'm on Facebook as DMT dot Researcher. So it's all DMT Researcher. Okay. So guys, check out DMT Researcher. Buy this book, DMT and My Occult Mind Light and DMT and My Occult Mind 2. Give them rave reviews, okay? <laughs> And then make sure you follow Dick and Eric on all forms of social media. Um, you can subscribe to me as well and all that jazz. Um, but you guys, thank you so much for doing this and for blessing all of us with your infinite amount of knowledge. Uh, thank you very much. An excellent line of questioning from both you, Scott uh, and uh, Eric. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Dick. Thank you guys you. have a nice night. Thank you. Yeah, well, thanks, Dick. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.